I love your jumper, even though our listeners can't see it. It does look cool if a 12 year old was wearing it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, man, it's good to see you. Good to hear your voice and, and always happy to be here. So, uh, you know, it's the first like, person it's, to tell me that. <laughs> it's like one one forty five in the morning, and Ivan's like, "I don't need this, man." I'm going to bed this. What about uh, what about you, John? Oh, about um, what's the topic again? How did you do that? Because I can't seem to get AK Real Colors to chip. Really? I just can't seem you're to. Doing it, you're doing it wrong. I, I am. Someone tell me how. So I use. Uh, uh, I just. Yeah, go, go ahead, ahead Robbie. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I use, use ammo chipping effects. Uh, yeah, see. Oh, I'm sorry. Look, I cut you off again. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> this is like this is what happens to Canadians when they're standing at doors trying to get in grocery stores. It's like, no, you go first. No, you go first. It's fine. <laughs> I was gonna go it's a Canadian standoff. <laughs> Hello one and all and welcome to The Posse. This is episode 32 and we're glad you could join us and we discuss all things scale modelling. I'm joined by my lovely co-hosts, Scott Gentry, John Bernani, TJ Holler and Doug Smith. Welcome guys and how are you all doing? Good, how are you doing Ivan? I can't complain, it's getting really cold over here in the UK now so I'm freezing but you know it's better than the summer. Oh Ivan, it's great to hear from you, great to see you. Ivan, I am also doing well, just so you know. Excellent. Oh, I'm good too. I'm uh, yeah. I am. I am doing all right. No complaints here. And as far as cold goes, yeah, we're we got some snow last week, so we're 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 cooling off. That's right. So Ivan, you know, TJ and I had the had the pleasure to join the geeks, and it was a lot of fun. You know, they had us over, and we talked a lot about scale model photography, whether it be for publications or social media, and it was it was just a really great dialogue. And I was very grateful that they had us over. And to our listeners who haven't heard of the geeks please tune into the you know the model geeks they're another friendly podcast great group of guys and highly recommend them tj i'm sure you had a good time too oh i had a blast those those um you know we've probably mentioned before but those dudes they're just they're just good guys um we got to know them in vegas you know we had uh i think we had scott on and we had whitey on our show so it was a good it was a good opportunity for john and i to go on and and talk about photography which we both enjoy and and it was good just to, you know, shoot the breeze with, with four cool dudes. So, yeah, I think by the time this is out, that episode also comes out. It, mu- it must have been really inspiring because, TJ, you're doing an aircraft. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Oh, well, surely 
There's one in just the showed up. Though. Just showed up in the mail today um, from Sprue Brothers. Got to give a shout out to Sprue Brothers because even with their slower mailing service, as they put on their website, which is not their fault, it's the United States Postal Service. It still got here like like that. I think it shipped Monday and or maybe Tuesday, and I got it today. I got the Hasegawa A4M and a quick boost ejection seat. I'm I'm surprised you didn't say you ordered it this morning because sometimes I feel like. Spree Brothers ships faster than Amazon Prime for crying out loud. They have. It's weird. I don't know how that works sometimes. Uh, it's varied with me. Sometimes I do get it ridiculously. It's always quick. I'm not going to act like it, t- it takes a long time. Sometimes it's quicker than other times. But even then, like a couple of days, uh, I'm good with that. Yeah, I think they set the standard for retailers in our, you know, hobby. They're second to none. It's it's unbelievable at the, you know, quality of service and, and how fast it comes as well. And the selection. Yeah. Selection is great. And I think I've maybe mentioned this on the podcast. I've made an order, forgot to add something, emailed them and asked them to add it. They slap it right on, sent me an invoice, and it mailed that day. Like it, nice. it hit the post office like 45 minutes after they sent me the invoice. Tonight, we also have a feature interview with a professional train driver, scale modeler, and former host of the Scale Model Shed podcast, Graham Pearson. Uh, this will be a great interview where we talk about all the serious subjects of his life as well as the best hobby in the world, scale modeling. So we really hope that you stay around and give that one a listen later on. That's going to be great. I look forward to that. So we also have a special guest tonight joining us. Many of you know him as the model guy on YouTube and other social media platforms. We have Robbie Knopfs. Welcome to the Triple P. Thanks, guys, for uh, having me on. Your podcast is fantastic and it's very fun to listen to. You have some great banter and uh, I'm just excited to be here. Welcome, Robbie. So before we get started, what have you guys been up to? Scott, I'm going to kick it over to you first. Well, I've had the flu this week, so that was a real highlight. I have an armor piece that I, uh, I've i painted this week, uh, so that was great uh, before I got sick. Uh, got some primer on that. Not ready to talk about what I'm working on yet, but it was good to get uh, the airbrush fired up again and, and work on that. And then uh, finished uh, gathering all the pieces for my OA4M for the Model Geeks A4 group build and got the last of my uh, parts that I need for my M10 Achilles for the M3, M4 group build for that as well. Nice, nice. Doug, what's on your plate? (laughs) Honestly, this last week I've had no mojo, um, snapping out of it, but I just, I was just really down and couldn't bring myself to do anything. No, I totally get it. TJ, you've been ripping on that Sherman. Anything else on your bench? Uh, that's, I mean, that's really been taking up most of my time, um, channeling my inner Mike Rinaldi and dumping pigments all over everything. I have to say his streams have been a big help to me and to me personally, cause he seemed to have like do one just for me, which was pretty rad. So yeah, that's, that's really all I've been really working on. Kind of like, like Doug, most of this week, I haven't really had the time or just really had the drive. I, my job's been kind of stressful lately and it's only getting worse. So I get home and I kind of just want to chill out and watch a little hockey and that's pretty much it. I know that feeling. So Ivan, I have seen your posts all over Facebook. I feel on the ammo page, you've gotten certainly a lot of shout outs. Anything else going on in your, uh, on your sphere of influence over there across the pond? Yeah. Uh, I've, I've got one or two more little pieces to do for ammo. These little U star one forty four tanks, quite nice. Um, but you know, I, I, just like TG, I was trying to do some pigment work and I ended up like, instead of dumping it on the model, dumping it all off my carpet. Wasn't too happy about that. But apart from that, not really been modeling. I've actually been getting ready to get stuff ready for Scale Model World because I, like last week, decided I'm actually going to be attending. Um, so I'll be repping a, uh, a Triple P t-shirt. 
Oh, and, yeah. Uh, making an appearance. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It was a very last minute decision, but luckily I still had my hotel booked, so it was cheap. Maybe we can convince you to do a live stream from the show and broadcast to the Triple P Facebook page. Absolutely. Just eyeing up a gimbal. You know, older models of the DJI one are too bad, so. Oh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be there doing a lot of, lot of footage, a lot of uh, pictures and sticking a camera in people's faces and demanding questions from them. Outstanding. Certainly not, uh, certainly not least and last is, is Robbie. How, how have you been up uh, north of the border? Uh, pretty good. We haven't seen any of the white stuff yet. Uh, this time of year in Alberta, it does start to snow. And uh, the company I work for, we change all of our gravel haul trucks over to plow. So there's about a two-week window where things get really nuts, where we're trying to get everything up and running for the snow. But uh, it's nice to come home to the bench, and I finally got that Meng F-18F into paint, and that's when things really start to pick up. So that's been exciting, but that's been pretty much it for me. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on. And this really leads right into our next segment. So, Doug, take it away. All right. It is time for our Modeler's Minute. This time, it is the model guy, Robbie Knopfs. Robbie, tell us about yourself and how long have you been scale modeling? Uh, so, I originally was am from Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is on the east coast of Canada. That's where I spent most of my life. And I've moved to Alberta, where I now have three kids with my wife. And we're in a very small town. It's uh, 170 people, not 170,000, but 170. So uh, things are pretty quiet out here for work. Like I was just saying, I work with the plow company. I'm a Red Seal heavy truck mechanic. And I'm also in the reserves with the military where I work with youth, like training them with uh, basically how to teach classes, instructional technique, leadership, all kinds of fun stuff like that. Uh, COVID has been a little bit of a hit on that because it's not as in-person or fun when we're doing it online, but we're trying to make the best we can of that. And then I'm also coaching my kids for hockey. I don't think it's anything more Canadian than that. And for modeling, I've been take, doing it seriously again now for about five years. Uh, same story as a lot of your guests. I was a modeler growing up and then uh, started playing hockey. Uh, girls, band, and cadets took over. You know, you mentioned hockey. It's kind of funny because we were talking a little bit recently about how the hockey season was getting ready to start. We were excited, but my team, the uh, Blackhawks, are already mathematically eliminated from the postseason, I believe, uh, two weeks into the season. Yeah. So that's been a lot of fun. Okay, tell us, uh, what subjects do you like to model? So I've always been an aircraft guy, even as a kid, aircraft with my bag. And I can pretty much tie that into being such a big history buff. I remember being five years old, and I spent a lot of time with my grandfather, who was in the Royal Navy, transferred to the Canadian Navy, and he'd always let me watch war movies with him and... A lot of them weren't necessarily appropriate for kids, but the big one that stood out and really fired up my interest in history was the Battle of Britain. And that movie is a classic because there's no CGI. Everything's done with actual aircraft except for a few scenes with models. And I remember that opening scene where they're all, they're on that forward airfield with the hurricanes and they're getting ready to pull back and they start getting ready to burn the hurricanes. And just as they're getting ready to light them up, those 109s come tearing over the field. And as a young kid, just to hear the superchargers, the engine, and things start blowing up, it's just overload on your senses. So I was kind of hooked after that. We watched all kinds of movies like Bridge Over the River Kwai, Great Escape, all the classics. And then my uncle made things a little bit worse when he got me into modeling. And he got me my first model kit, and I believe it was a Spitfire, 148 Spitfire. And then after that, it just kind of snowballed from there. I got into aviation. I was really big into flight sim and things like that. And then, like I said, started playing hockey, band drifted out of it for a while. One day with a flight sim community, somebody shared a video of Plasmo building that FW-190. 
And it was the one where he, there's the first one he did where he scratch built some details on the engines and he really went all out on it. And I kind of wondered, like, I didn't think modeling had come that far. And then I started tinkering with it again and got back into it. It uh, started me out about five years ago. So if you'll notice on the channel, mostly everything's aircraft. Tanks, I'm still kind of a babe in the woods with that stuff. I'm watching some definite channels and posts to see what guys do to build the tanks. And hopefully one day I can build one that I'm actually comfortable with how it's been finished. Very cool. So you're in YouTube. We've got the model guy. Tell us about how you got started in that. Being in such a small town in Alberta, there's not really a modeling community I can reach out to and say, here, guys, here's my work. And I was noticing that a lot of guys had smaller channels on there. So I talked to them and they said uh, it was great for them because it let them share their work around the world. So I figured that was a great way to get feedback and get help on building because I wanted to get better. I didn't want to just be stagnant and stay at one level. So I it started with just me building kits and saying, this is where I'm at. Please give me your comments, criticisms, and critiques, and it'll help me out. It just started snowballing from there because I think what really found the X factor for that was when I was doing the history of the aircraft while I was building it. Because a lot of guys, when they do the channels, they're a lot of some of them are 16 times speed. So it's really hard to follow along what they're doing. And it's more of a craftsman type approach. Like they're showing you their process. And I just want to be a little bit different. So when I started talking about the aircraft, I thought I'd be able to teach some people about the history why the aircraft was important, things like that, and just kind of generate some more interest in modeling and history as well. Yeah, that was something I noticed from your channel straight away. And uh, a lot of friends I know who watch your channel as well noticed it. It's rather than just say what you're doing about modeling, he was giving us the education behind each subject and the history of it. And I think that's something that instantly grabbed a lot of viewers. So that was a, a conscientious approach to make it educational. Yeah, definitely. Uh, my wife and I, we homeschool our kids she's part of a community as well so it's funny to f hear kids come by the house and say oh i just watched your new video and we learned about the spitfire we learned about a mustang i'm like this is this is not where i thought it was going to go but it's definitely fun to see where it has gone and it's uh, like i said it's just what makes the channel a little bit different and what helps it stand out does your channel feed your mojo does it keep you excited and engaged on your modeling um yes and no for the yes side um it's always fun when i release a new video and i get to see what the initial response is to it like when I did uh, the Corsair that just came out, the 132, that picked up a lot of momentum right out of the gates. People were, they liked that they were seeing some more detail on the inside of the cockpit, how I was weathering it. And then at the same time, it does kill the mojo a little bit because when you're doing a channel, in order to get YouTube to pay out with the analytics and that, you have to be pretty regular with it. So I was trying to do videos every two weeks, but the problem is it basically stops your building at one point and then you have to spend two or three nights editing. And that's probably my least favorite part. And that's probably not a good attitude to have as a guy that does a YouTube channel. Yeah. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. The more you put into it, the more you get out of it. But it uh, it definitely takes some it takes some discipline to actually sit at the desk and do the video editing just to make sure that's going to get out and be a quality video and not just something thrown together. I'd love to expand on that. Your vi your videos, you have series of videos that are anywhere from, you know, it looks like average 10 to 15 minutes long. For, for a production like that, for one part in a build series, can you talk to us about how long that process takes from not only filming, but editing portion at the end, just to, just to give an understanding of like what type of commitment you have towards your channel? Sure. Um, what happens when I'm doing the build? When it first started out, I was averaging about a month per build with 148 scale. And then it would be about three or four nights of editing. And one thing I like to do with the videos when I edit them is not everybody that watches the videos on YouTube speak English as their primary language. So what I'll do the first night or two is just clip all the 
video down and so it tells a story without any words so just like it makes sense you can watch it and follow it and then i'll spend a few nights just sharpening up my research before i narrate it that way the information i'm giving is as accurate as it can be but being on youtube there's always people that will argue with you like you'll say the sky is blue and someone's gonna come in and say it's purple just to stir stuff up all in all the process to do opening the box to a finished video is probably about 40 to 45 days if it's a single build video that's dedication yeah, it's not as fast as some of the guys in this group. <laughs> so with your builds in photography and, and videotaping, like what, what's your setup when you're, when you're doing a YouTube video? Do you have a dedicated space? I see a lot of it's on that white background. Give us an idea of what your setup is. So I'm very fortunate that we live in a house with a semi-finished basement. And my wife is very crafty herself. So when we started moving our stuff into this place, we had to have room for her to do her sewing and her cricketing and her crocheting all kinds of fun stuff i have a dedicated bench and it's an actual office size bench i have my 3d printers there my airbrushes in here to my left i've built my own shelf for all the paints and that and then uh, everything build wise is within hands reach so that keeps things flowing pretty well and then for photography i just have a simple table in the corner with two studio lights on it and the tripod and it's really nice because i can just take the model from the one table to the other snap a few photos, come back, and then start doing the editing in Lightroom. So I know some people aren't fortunate enough to have that set up, but it definitely is something I'm, I, it's an advantage because you're able to just keep things flowing. Something I noticed from your early videos is that you've been someone who likes to paint all their markings on. Why do you prefer doing that? I, when my wife first got her first Cricut machine, I wasn't really aware that people were doing their own markings yet. I wanted to do a hurricane that was had it from a Canadian squadron. And the only way to really do that would be to cut my own markings. So I did a little bit of work, figured out how to cut them. The big advantage of painting on your own markings is you don't have to worry about decal silvering, trying to get them down into panel lines. You don't have to worry about it being too thick or anything like that. It's not without its challenges. So you still have to figure out when you're going to put your decal, your, sorry, your painting on at what stage do you want to do your markings after you've done all of your painting or do you want to do your markings first that way if you make a mistake it's a lot quicker to strip the paint and restart and having done that enough it's it's really nice because it gives you a whole world of opportunity for what aircraft you want to do so instead of just doing the box art you can within a few minutes whip up your own decals as well like for that topsy p47 that i did that was all 100 percent done with the silhouette machine it's the whole reason, like when it comes to aircraft, I do the same. I paint them on because you can just, you can weather them the same as like the paint finish. So rather than it look like a weathered aircraft with a sticker on it, it can all be uniform and look natural. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I hate decals. So if I can paint markings on, that's exactly what I'm going to do. It, it's, it ends up being less work in the long run because with Tamiya decals, they're notoriously thick. And if you want them to get to sit really nice and flat after you've hit them with some setting solutions, usually you have to do two or three clear coat layers and then sand it all down. So with the painting your own decals, not only are you saving all the time of having to do all the sanding that, but you're also saving your gloss coats in that too. So you're not having to spray those two or three coats down. Absolutely. So Robbie, I'm going to, I'm going to take this conversation to the dark side. You know, I, <laughs> I see a lot of aircraft on your channel. Yep. I'd love to see an armor build, you know, multi-parts, multi-part series, uh, like like your Tempest or your Corsair. I have watched your armor builds. I, I thought you did a great job with the Sturm Tiger. Looking forward, do you have any plans for maybe a multi-part armor build? I do and I don't. The one problem with doing a multi-part armor build is immediately there are people out there who think you're comparing yourself to the grandfather night shift there that everybody knows. <laughs> and 
anytime you're doing that, people are going to compare you to them. And I don't want to sound cocky or overconfident or anything, but I don't personally, I don't mind that. But I think what will happen is a lot of people are going to try to make that connection because with Scalaton and Plasmo, they both released core surveyors. I think it was within two days of each other. And the comment section on Scalaton, I had to feel bad for him because he was taking a lot of heat that was unwarranted. Just go back to your question for me to do it. Another couple of tanks. It's definitely going to happen. Uh, I have a KV one that I've, or sorry, KV two that I built. Uh, I'm just waiting to edit the footage for that, and I'm also working on an M4 Sherman with the 105 for the group build you guys are hosting. So that'll be a video as well. If it's going to be a series, I'm not 100% sure yet, but I do have Meng's or not sorry, Meng uh, Mini Arts SU85, and I have the full interior kit for that. Nice. And that's there's going to be a lot going on there. So. To justify that, it'll have to be a series or else, again, it'll just be a quick edited video that you can't really take much from. Well, that's awesome. Thank you for those. Thank you for that input. I'm happy to hear the M4 is in there. That's (laughs) awesome. Repping the Triple P group build. So, no, I'm looking forward to any videos that you put out. And certainly that SU85 sounds sounds sweet with the full interior. So I know know Scott's chomping at the bit over there to uh, see that come to fruition as well. Yeah, the SU-85 is one of my all-time favorites for sure. I want to steer you back towards what's on your bench right now. Talk to us a little bit about what that new Mang Super Hornet kit's been like for you. Right out of the box, it's generally a nice kit. Like The detail is very crisp. The panel lines are nicely done. Uh, nothing's over nothing's overcut or anything like that. The cockpit goes together really nice, and you don't really start hitting any bumps in the road until you start putting the fuselage together. One of the problems I've had with this kit is that there's two seam lines that when you glue the top and the bottom half together, you have to delete them. And there's no real support behind those. So anytime you squeeze the nose too hard or anything like that, that seam will pop back open. So that's a little bit of a pain to deal with. And there are a couple other panel lines they've put in the kit that have to be erased as well that are not on the Super Hornet. Above the tail assembly is a big one. But their intakes, I do like how they've designed that. Because with any Hornet I've done so far, that's pretty much my favorite jet. The intakes are definitely a stumbling block, I think, for the engineering. Because... You want to have a nice, tight, and crisp intake assembly, but you also want it to be easy for someone to put together. But this is the first time I've been able to do an intake uh, setup without having to over sand or fill. Or This is definitely the best Hornet kit I've dealt with. Um, I'm sure there's some people out there with more experience that would probably find a few more faults with it. It's definitely a kit anybody could build. There's nothing that's been super challenging. Okay, moving on with the questions. Tell us a little bit about modeling there in Alberta. How is the modeling community? So... Before COVID hit or anything like that, the modeling community here is pretty strong. Uh, for me to go to any of the club meetings, it's about an hour and a half drive. There is an armor-only group, the AMMS, uh, Alberta Military Modeler Society. There's GOMES, which is a great group. They're uh, the gathering of model builders. They are very laid back, but they put on a fantastic show once a year. AMMS also does a show here in Calgary. And then every two years, there's a big show at the Bomber Command Museum of Canada, which is about an hour and a half south of me. You can't ask for a better backdrop than having a Lancaster bomber in the model show or anything like that. And when they ran that in 2019, they had, I think it was close to 650 entrants. And it was a really big turnout for a one-day show. So everybody basically drives in, sets up their stuff and goes home. With COVID though, there's been challenges. The shows last month were definitely cut down in size, maybe a third their usual attendance. For me personally, being in such a small town and not wanting to do the driving sometimes, a big part of the modeling scene here is the online community. And the nice thing about COVID, as hard as it is to praise a disease that's doing as much damage around the world as it is, modelers have (laughs) kind of come away ahead of the game because one, they're at their benches more often. Two, I find 
in the last year and a half, I've connected with more people around the world who are building models. Ivan's in England. I talked to him with his builds. I follow TJ's stuff in the US. I have friends that are all over the world that I talk with regularly who I've never met in person. Uh, ben Smith, I know he knows Ivan as well. So it just shows what a small world it actually is. You have to see the positives. You have to see the silver lining and that type of thing. For a community such as Calgary, as big as this, I think it's about a million people in the city or more. It's quite a big turnout to the shows and that. So it's a really strong community. And a lot of people know each other. It's like a small family. So the guys in Edmonton, four hours north, they'll often know a lot of the guys coming up from the Calgary show as well. I will say, I, going to shows up in Canada, one thing that stuck out to me, it seemed like the Tamiya kits were like really expensive compared to the States. I, w- I was really surprised by that. Um, I think it depends on the stores you're going to. I know PM Hobbycraft, generally, their Tamiya stuff is a little bit more expensive, probably about 10 to $12 higher than Hobby Sense. But often uh, Amazon, I'm not sure where people stand on Amazon <laughs> for buying things, but you can often find deals on there. I've purchased... Uh, the P47 from Tamiya through them. And I've had to wait two months to get it, but it's only been like a $35, $40 kit. Whereas if I went to the store uh, at the time, I think PM was asking $70. So unfortunately, if I'm going to save $30, that's the route I'm going to go. And I know it's not great for the mom and pop places, but when it's a kit you really want, sorry to those guys, but I do spend enough money in there that I don't feel too bad. You mentioned it earlier, the Tamiya lacquer paints. I mean, Super jealous. I think we are finally getting them in the United States. You guys have had a monopoly on them for the last year, for crying out loud, if not more. Yeah, I thought you guys would have them first, especially where they have to put the French language on the bottles for up here. Because uh, I know TJ was speaking about that a few months ago as well. But compared to Gunsy, I find they're very durable as well. I'm not sure if they're a direct replacement yet. Because it's your traditional Tamiya line, like the colors are very specific. Like they do now have a ghost gray and a light ghost gray, but it's the same as before. Like depending on what colors people want, sometimes it's easier just to buy a specific one than to mix two or three Tamiya paints. Continuing on the Tamiya line, is there Tamiya enamels available? The little square bottles are those in it, are those available up north as well? Yeah, surprisingly enough, uh, Hobby Sense just announced that. I believe it was late last week that they were starting to carry the enamel stuff. And I thought that was out of production. I'm not sure how I would use them because I have a lot of oils and other weathering products. So I think that would just be kind of overkill, but they definitely are available now. Do you, are you a fan of their panel liner, like the little square bottles? Do you, do you enjoy using those? Uh, yes and no. Uh, I'm not sure if it depends on the weather. Sometimes I find, depending on what they're going on top of, they'll flow really nice. Uh, when, I did, when I'm doing this Mang Hornet here for the cockpit, Instead of trying to paint really tight lines and all that stuff, I'll use the gray wash just to fill in the fill in all the seams to make it look nice and tidy. Uh, I can't paint that well. Uh, but then there's other times where it feels like it doesn't want to stick. And then usually in that case, I'll go over to some oils with some uh, enamel thinners in them. All right. This is the question that we ask everyone when they're on the show. Uh, what would be your magnum opus build? That's a good question. Um, picking an aircraft is kind of like picking your favorite kid. Usually it's the one that's the best behaved, but uh, <laughs> for me, it'd be the B-17 because I'm not sure, I'm going to date myself here a little bit as well, but there was a game that came out for DOS called Flying Fortress, and this was probably like 35 plus years ago. Just be, because I was such a big history buff, I loved that game because you could see inside the bomber, you could see where the crew would be, where the crew, how they would operate and live for eight to 10 hours, right? I've read a bunch of work by Martin Caden for uh, about the B-17 and one book that I still have now, and it's been 30 years and it's still on my shelf, is his book, Black Thursday. 
And that's where he visits the second raid to Schweinfurt with the 8th Air Force. Just the stories of how the team works together just uh, and how they talk about that bomber being the queen just has always stuck with me. So it's to do, I have the HKM B-17 on my shelf. It's kind of pushed to the shelf of Doom right now because it's a bear of a kit. I know Matt McDougall was doing it, and he kind of put it aside as well for the same issues I'm running into. But the difference is it's it's my one of my favorite aircraft, if not the most favorite. So there is a drive there to get it finished. I just don't want to rush it because I find when you start trying to rush through a kit just to get it done, your quality just drops downhill. And I don't, I don't care if I have to let that sit for six months before I come back to it. But at the end of the day, I want that to really reflect how much passion I have for that plane. And what really sealed the deal is we had a B-17 come to Calgary a couple of years ago. So for the first time, I was able to get up inside of a real one and see around inside of it. And it was just, it was a fantastic experience. And I figured if I build a model of that to the same passion that I'll never forget that. And it'll always be a big, big part of my love for history. That that HK B-17 is, is an awesome model. I, I used to have it. Um, I opened the box a few times, looked at the wingspan. I was like, yeah, no, um, sold it on. But then it's like, then I've seen the Lancasters coming out. It's like, yeah, want that. Yeah. I picked up all the resin I could for it. I have the Aries engines, Edward tires, all the bits you could get for it. And I pretty much told my wife, it's just going to be our centerpiece at like Thanksgiving and Christmas. Cause it's, it is pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> It'll just have to sit in the middle of the table. Yeah. Where would you display it? That's, that's my only concern. I'd be worried that you know, I feel like you need to create its own spec. You, you know what? Actually, you should put it in like a like a coffee table and have a big, you know, <laughs> glass slab over top of it, and that can serve as your centerpiece for your living room. Yeah, it'll have to go somewhere where the kids can't get to it because it's uh, for having three young kids. They've been really good around my models. Or unfortunately, have been two uh, two losses. <laughs> but at the end of the day, uh, if a model gets broke, it's just plastic. Speaking of them, I've definitely pushed the passion onto them. They all like building models. I mean, they're nine, seven, and five in age. But my middle guy, I've kind of created a monster there because he loves building models. I usually throw him some Airfix or Tamiya stuff. And he'll, every five minutes, it's, is this the right color? Is this what it's supposed to look like? Is this where the crew would climb in? I'm just like, okay, bud, just <laughs> just fire paint on there. You're doing fine. But he's got that attention to detail already. So he'll go farther than I will, I think. That's awesome. Well, that's been really interesting, Robbie. It's been it's been really great to understand your perspective of the hobby and and get to know you a bit more as a person and as a modeler. It's it's always nice to get into the mind of the people we see on YouTube. So that was that was really really good fun. Uh, thank you, thank you so much for answering our questions. I know sometimes it can be a bit daunting to be stuck in the interview chair. It's been a really great experience, and I've really appreciated this because, like I was saying, uh, I've listened to you guys' podcast, driving to work. I get about a 45-minute drive at times, and it's just nice hearing other people talk about the hobbies, Like even if it's not something I build personally, like sci-fi and that, but just hearing other people's passion for it really, it really gives you a boost to know that there's other people out there doing it as well. So again, thanks for having me. You're in the Jim Bates seat there is what we've called it. I think we've had pretty good percentage of all the you know Canadian modelers on the show. Yeah, you've had some big names. You've had Scott from Small Soldier. You've had uh, Tony Bell. You've had uh, Chris Sieber, the Siebs. So yeah, I think you've hit a lot of the big ones. I'm sure there's some other guys out there that just quietly build stuff and haven't posted it yet. So The Plastic Posse Podcast is sponsored by Tankcraft. Tankcraft makes the highest quality products for the discerning scale modeler, and we are proud that they are now an official sponsor of the Triple P. So who is Tankcraft? 
Take Craft makes beautiful, self-healing cutting mats that will take your bench to the next level. Not only do they look amazing, they are made to stand up to your toughest builds. Constructed from heavy-duty laminated 3mm thick PVC, they have excellent self-healing and cut-resistant properties. But the best part is the beautifully rendered blueprint-like drawings of iconic World War II vehicles printed on the front. Up-armor your bench by adding a mat with a Panther or a Tiger One in Panzer Gray, or a T-3485, or my personal favorite, the M4A3 Sherman in Military Green. They come in two sizes, 12x18 and 18x24, with 1-inch grids and centimeter borders for handy reference. Not a tank guy? Not a problem. Tankcraft has you covered with their Aircrafter Series modeler mats. Take your bench to new heights with the mighty P-47D Thunderbolt, P-51D Mustang, or the venerable Spitfire Mark 5B. But wait, there's more! We've got an exclusive offer for Plastic Posse listeners only. Use the code POSSE15 at checkout for a 15% discount. So head on over to tankcraft.com. That's Tankcraft, T-A-N-K-R-A-F-T dot com and order today. Hey, your bench called. It wants a new mat. All right. And for those of you that tried to order your glue base from Tankcraft recently, he's got those back in stock now. Those are restocked. So um, if you don't have one, you definitely need one for your bench. And especially if you've got one of those beautiful tank craft mats on there, you want to make sure that you protect uh, those beautiful mats. All right, let's take a minute and talk to Jim Bates about an upcoming model show in the Pacific Northwest. Okay, well, I am here with our good friend, Jim Bates. Jim, how are you doing? I'm doing great. And it's good to have Jim sitting in the Jim Bates throne. Yeah, it is. Uh, do you still remember it? Is it like you remembered? It's it's as great as I remembered. Well, the rumor has it that you and a bunch of friends up in uh, the Pacific Northwest are going to be putting on a model show here pretty quick. Yeah, so we have a club. Uh, it's a non-IPMS club based out of the Museum of Flight called Northwest Scale Modelers. And we meet the first Thursday of the month at the Museum of Flight. That's one of the things we do. And in exchange for that, we build models for display at the museum. Uh, Most of my modeling is building things for the case. And we put on two shows. And our big show is in February. And this year, it will be uh, February 20, or sorry, February 19 and 20th. It's a two-day show. 2022 model mania and we call it our our i guess our february show we do things a little bit differently in that uh it is a display only show the february show has one award and that's the curators pick their favorite model so if you want to win that build something large that's made by boeing because i think that's required but we also do a show in the fall and we haven't got to do one for a couple of years because of covid in fact, the uh, last model show in the Pacific Northwest was our February show, and I think that was two or three years ago. And so we're doing what we call the mini show, which is Saturday, November 20th. It's from 10 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. at the Museum of Flight. And what this is, is it's about 10, 15 modelers. We'll be sitting up, we'll be building, we'll be chatting, we'll have models on the table. The way we set it up is each modeler gets a table to work on and a table to display their models. So some people bring a few, some people bring a lot. Um, And uh, we just sit and build and talk to the people who walk through the museum. So what I wanted to come on is, one, invite anybody who wants to attend. 
feel free to come see us at the Museum of Flight. It's just normal museum admission. You don't have to pay extra to come to our show. It's in what we uh, call the Great Gallery. We're uh, setting up under the, I want to say SR-71, but it's actually an A-12, let's just say Blackbird. It's pretty awesome to spend your Saturday building under a Blackbird. But if anybody out there in podcast land is not a uh, member of the club, feel free to, if they want to display and or build, drop me a line. Um, my email is rcaflawyerpilot at gmail.com. And I'm happy to have anybody come for the February show. We always have two or three new people. It's awesome. For this one, it's a little more low-key, but anybody wants to come out, um, we have no dues for the club, no nothing. And if you do display your models, you get in free. So uh, if anybody's interested, drop me a line. We have um, one place you can go that's got some information is the Museum of Flight has a plan, uh, your visit calendar of events. Doesn't have much information. They're telling us we're going to have hundreds of scale aircraft, armors, auto, sci-fi, and such. But if you're looking for more details, look for Northwest Scale Modelers at mwsm.club. And all the information for both the shows are there. As I said, if anybody um, wants to come, drop me a line at my email. And uh, we're looking for as many modelers. I do prefer that we know ahead of time how many people are coming. So uh, if you're interested, drop me a line You know, a couple days beforehand. Don't just show up and expect we'll have room for you. We're going to do it a little more distanced for COVID. We'll see how that goes. The only bad news is we're back on mask mandate in King County. So I believe you have to have a mask on and I believe you might even need to show your vaccination card. So that's the only, but that's museum rules. That's County rules. So we got to follow what they do because they let us set up in their lobby. Right. So that's Saturday, November 20th at the Boeing Museum of Flight. If you're interested in more information, you can go to nwsm.club, which is the Northwest Scale Modelers, and they can reach out to you at rcaflawyerpilot at gmail.com, correct? That is it. Awesome. Well, before I let you go, um, let's talk about the big one in February, because that sounds like a show that I might try and get up to the Pacific Northwest to check out. Yes. So if you've ever gone online and seen pictures of a huge model show under a Blackbird, that's the February show. What we do there is we once had 3,000 models. We're never going to be doing that again because that was a lot of models. But what we do there is we just have table after table of models. Um, I don't remember how many we had a couple of years ago, but it's usually over somewhere oh, between 1,000 and, and 2,500 models. We have seminars. Um, you, If you listen to the podcasts and, and you've heard of Dr. Strangebrush, he will be there doing some airbrushing demos. We have demos on other things. We have armor modelers. Generally, we have a uh, member who does a seminar making your own decals. Uh, I'll probably get stuck doing some sort of Canadian aviation history thing. So it's, again, no no contest, no vendors. We've done make and takes. I don't know if that's going to happen this year. That's become a little bit of a thing the museum's now handling. Uh, but we've got models. One year we had R2-D2 show up, and he was exceedingly popular. Uh, there's always a lot of cool Star Wars stuff because we seem to have a lot of uh, science fiction modelers in town. And I'm hoping this year we can expand the Gundams and all that stuff because it, it's not just airplanes, cars, and tanks. It's anything. Um, we are in an aviation museum, but I don't just want to see models on the table. I want to see everything that people want to bring out. 
And again, I'm I'm one of the I'm kind of the junior uh, partner of the team that puts that together. So if anybody does want to do that and appear at the uh, show that weekend in February, they can also contact me. Um, and we're a pretty small club. We have you know, 15, 20 people at a meeting, maybe 25 when it's a good meeting. But we get a lot of modelers turn out for the show because it's the first big event in Seattle. And uh, again, lots of models on display, lots of modelers working, chatting. Um, we're trying to just expose the hobby to the whole world. It's not meant to be a contest. And it's it's kind of our outreach program. That's how we kind of look at it is let's, let's grow the hobby and get people excited about it. Awesome. And what are those dates in February again? They are, you're going to ask me, uh, February 19th and 20th. It's Saturday and Sunday. Uh, one thing I did forget is we're going to have a special display on the Vought F8 Crusader. So if you uh, have any built Crusaders, bring them. And the reason we're doing that is that's our suck up to the new curator of the Museum of Flight, the Crusaders' favorite airplane. So we thought we'd curry favor with him by just having Crusaders on the table. Um, it's kind of cool. He's also a modeler. And uh, one of the things the museum has been doing is he's slowly been building one of those big B-17s and doing a little bit of a Zoom series on that through the Museum of Flight. So uh, check that out as well. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Jim. If you are in the Pacific Northwest or interested in attending this show, um, check that out at nwsm.club, Northwest Scale Modelers um, Club. And then also, again, Jim's email is rcaflawyerpilot at gmail.com. Take care, Jim. It's always great to talk to you. Yep. Great talking to you. Thanks a lot. I'd like to remind everyone that episode 32 of the Triple P is sponsored by our deputy marshals, the Posse Outriders, Grant, Paul, David, Ethan, Jamie, Steve, and Rick. These Posse members all help us to bring this podcast to you. If you would like to donate to the Posse, just go to our website, plasticpossepodcast.buzzsprout.com. In the upper right-hand corner, there's a little heart icon. Just click on this and donate any amount that you would like. And also a reminder that the Plastic Posse podcast is just one of several scale modeling podcasts. You can head on over to modelpodcasts.com for a list of all scale modeling podcasts and some modeling blogs as well. And by the way, IPMS San Diego is hosting on November 13th a model swap meet and group of seminars at the Gillespie Field Annex of the San Diego Air and Space Museum. We also heard from Frank Blanton about the AMPS 2022 International Convention. It's going to be held from April 7th to April 9th of 2022 at the Marriott at City Center in Newport News, Virginia. I, I definitely plan on attending that show. I've never been to an AMP show as an AMPS member, so it should be fun. JB, you've been to a few of those, haven't you? Oh, yeah. I love AMPS. The national shows are always fun. Typically, they have five to 700 models, and they're all armor-related. They're a bunch of fun. I think my first AMP show was back in like the 2001 timeframe. That's where I met MIG. It was like the place to go for armor modelers, you know, 20-some years ago. They still have a really strong show, you know, really strong core of members as well. Uh, really great group of guys, always high-quality models on the table. I also think they have a unique judging system. Uh, that's probably, you know, the gold standard when it comes to evaluating a model and having a scorecard and going through it in a uh, quantitative manner. So it's a lot of fun and really a great learning experience. So I would recommend if you're within a couple hour drive, 
I would certainly love to go. You should go. They always have great vendors and I know the crew there that'll do a bang up job for the show as well. So I, I wish them the best of luck. So since the last episode, we've had a good handful of feedback. Doug, what have the listeners had to say? All right. Well, we've got a really long one here. RK, aka Scale Modeling Haven, wrote with some terrific feedback about the posse and his own struggles with the hobby. He said, over the last couple of years, I've been finding it harder and harder to complete projects and to enjoy projects without getting anxious about screwing something up. Far too often, I'll open a box and see some daunting tasks in the coming build, which makes me shy away, or I'll start to paint a model and then get paralyzed with moving onto the weathering steps, because that's usually when things get messed up. I used to not be such a perfectionist. Some of the perfectionism comes from comparing my own work to the, that of the true artists that are posting on online. This is not their fault. I love that they share their work and inspire us. So what's any of this got to do with the Triple P? A couple of things. When I listen to you guys talk, it sounds like you're having fun, and that's infectious. I want to have fun modeling again. I think listening to your show has also demonstrated that much of the fun in modeling is related directly to a social aspect of this hobby that I've been missing out on. Sure, I've been a member of modeling forums and Facebook groups for years, but it's not the same as actually hanging out with people and talking shop or even building. All of your talk about the Vegas show and the discussions of IPMS have convinced me to join the local IPMS chapter. Mind you, I'm not some basement shut-in. I have a wife, plenty of friends, but nobody to really nerd it up about models with. In fact, I tend to keep my modeling in the closet around most people. Last week, I met the IPMS guys for the first time and had a blast. I think I'm really going to enjoy this. I think bringing a human aspect back into the hobby makes achieving perfection less important and being okay with just being okay. It seems more reasonable or achievable, maybe. He says, you guys have given me a boost in the right direction, and for that, I'm truly grateful. Wow. Thank you so much. That We're grateful for you and your, uh, your participation and your willingness to share. That's why we do this. We're just a bunch of guys that love a great hobby. And the social aspect of it is, you know, with if anybody out there can listen to us and, and feel like uh, he's got a bunch of friends, you know, over his iPhone or whatever, then... You know, that's all we could ever ask for. All right. Zavi Perez wrote in to discuss my discussion point from episode 31 regarding building models away from the bench. He says, hey dudes, I'm a high school art teacher and last year while teaching art remotely, I would occasionally work on builds while my students were busy with their own projects for my class and I'd show them what I was working on. It was cool. Then this year when we came back on campus, I thought, why should that change? So even though I consider myself an aircraft modeler, I started bringing Gundam kits with me to school. So I bust out my little robots during my lunch, conference periods, and after school during our art club meeting. I've even purchased a couple of HG Gundam kits for students to work on after they're done with their assignments for my class. I've even had a student get a pass from another teacher just so he could come to my class and work on his Gundam model. Now for the shameless self-plug, check out my Instagram. It's at JetBlackModelWorks. I really dig the show and listen to it when I'm at my bench in and in my classroom. Cheers and keep up the great work with the pod. All right. Next up from Marco Lips from the Netherlands. So thank you so much for writing in. He says, I've been modeling again since 2015. I started modeling as a teenager and up to my 20s. Then life happened, college, wife's kids, et cetera, et cetera. I mainly model aircraft. And at the moment, it's all about piston pounders of the World War II era. Great subject. At the beginning of the week, I put a post on your Facebook page telling you how I found the podcast. I just finished episode five. 
I'm at episode 13 now and love listening and the roundtable conversations in episode 12 are awesome and I can't wait for the roundtable on aircraft modeling. You see, I have some catching up to do and for some weird reason, I want to hear them in chronological order. No, that's that's awesome, man. You know, certainly when I discovered the podcast, I did the same thing. He continues, I think it was Doug, actually TJ, that talked about wanting to paint a bust of George Washington, if I'm correct. You are correct, um, but not really uh, knowing where to start. I'm not a figure painter, especially painting faces, but I will send you some information from some older Verlinden articles on figure painting. Oh, thanks so much. Keep up the great work, guys. Love listening to your show during work or while modeling or writing this email. Kind regard from the Netherlands. Thanks so much, Marco. Really appreciate your word. Here's a little bit of a spoiler warning, Marco. I've already painted that bust. You'll get to it eventually, and then you'll hear this. <laughs> and you'll be like, damn, he already did it. But thank you. <laughs> All right. We also have Dave Mason from the Mid-Michigan Model Makers wrote in to invite us to the 37th annual 4M Mayhem Model Show held on the 5th of February, 2022 in Bay City, Michigan. You can find out all the details over at their club website, midmichiganmodelmakers.com, and they also have a Facebook page. Good luck, guys. Not sure if we can make it, but we'll be able to certainly give you a try. I I will say, Dave, I attended a Mid-Michigan show back in early... I want to say 2002, 2003 timeframe. Uh, me and my dad, we were like hankering for a show and there were none in the area and none for, you know, a couple months and we just, you know, screwed it, made it, made a, made a weekend out of it up there. So I loved it back then. I wish I could make it now. Unfortunately, I'm on the other side of the country, but hopefully we've given you a shout out and some people in your area can swing by. So and now we have a little bit of a shout out to Justin Ryan. Um, he brought up modeling on the road last episode. And he sent us a picture of his uh, bug out bag uh, that he uses a part organizer box and several mini painting starter sets from Reaper to make a figure box. He says he uses it when he heads up to his in-laws mountain house where there's no internet or television. I've been to places like that. They're awesome. I've never done modeling there and I need to start doing that. So uh, it has a couple of compartments loaded with figures of all scales and subject materials and it's ready to go at a moment's notice. That's pretty cool. I'm going to have to keep that in mind. We oftentimes, my family, we go on vacation to places that have no internet or cell phone service down in the mountains in Virginia, and it's it's pretty fun. So uh, I'm going to use that a little, give you a little feedback, Ryan. That's a really good idea. That's some really great feedback. And again, when you come to listen to this episode, send us a message, anything that's on your mind or any comments you want to make, please do send us an email or message us on the Facebook page. We do love hearing everything you all have to say. So, uh, TJ, it's time for a bit of an update with the group builds. What's been going on? All right. So let's uh, let's start with the older group builds first. They're all still rocking and rolling. Um, Spitfire group build, TIE Fighter group build, and the Rifle Model C3485 group build are all, you know, chugging along. Um, but, of course, the, the main one and the one that I've been the most active in is the M3, M4 Sherman, Lee Grant. Uh, Sherman Lee Grant uh, group build. After our last recording session, I think I added four or five more people into the group. There are 79. I counted them earlier. There are 79 people. I think we can get to 100. 79 kits in there. Yeah, I think there is at least an 80th that I have a a message to that I need to get back with, or he's trying to figure out what he's going to do. I got to go look through my messages again. I've been chatting with people. It's going really good. You know, I want to give a shout out to our buddy Patrick Perales, who is working on his Easy 8, and I think he's kicking ass on it. He's a really good modeler. He's a better modeler than he seems to think he is, and I tell him that all the time. Uh, so, Patrick, if you're listening to this, you're, uh, I've told you myself personally, you're kicking that thing's ass. So keep 
keep doing it, man. It's turning out great. Our boy Zach finally got started. Yeah. God bless. With his, uh, yeah, with, his, with his M4A1. <laughs> as we were rec- as we're recording this, he was asking a question about if he can get directions for his um, Tiger Model Designs upgrade kits. I told him just sack the f up and be a man and just <laughs> build build the mofo. It's a Sherman. It ain't that complicated. He's uh, he's doing good work. He's uh, I think he's already got the the hull textured and he's look. He just sent a picture like right now. I think he's got the air cleaners on. So if anyone is looking for aftermarket stuff for Shermans. Tire Model Designs is the place to go. Um, you can find everything there f- from from tools, to straps, small pieces, to full-on turrets. If there's a particular turret with, like, press steel car turret, you know, it. You know, if you get really want to get stuck in the weeds with Sherman Minutia, the information is out there. There are differences that, that the nerds know about. So if you're into that, you know, go for it. You know, I got to say this group build cost me a good amount of money this past weekend, too. (laughs) I went around and found some books at a local bookstore. So I have books on New Zealand Shermans, which I think I might just do one because they got some pretty sweet ones. I have Captured German and then also the Russian uh, Lend-Lease book was really good. It was only 20 bucks and and I read it in an evening and really talked a great length about the M4A2 and the two M4A4s that were shipped to them. So that was certainly educational and paired well with my Zvezda M4A2 I got that I'm cranking along with. Yeah, John, you seem to have found a real diamond in the rough bookshop in your area. Oh my God. You know, this is maybe taken away from my discussion point, but yeah, Aberdeen Books in Denver, Colorado. It is basically like going into the warehouse in Indiana Jones and just finding a holy grail in every box. Um, it is truly a unbelievable bookstore. I'll talk a little bit more during my segment of my weekend. I, that, that's what I was going to use, and uh, I'll, I'll expand on it. I'll certainly share the information on our Facebook page. And just a reminder that the M3, M4 group build is sponsored by our good friend, Steve from Value Gear Resin. Of course, our guest on the last podcast. So if you need anything for your Sherman Lee or Grant vehicle, make sure you head over to the Value Gear website. He's got whatever you need. He's a super nice guy too. It was funny. I uh, posted in that group that I was looking for stowage for my M4. I was like, oh, where can I buy some stuff? And then he immediately responded and it was don't buy anything, man. I can send you some stuff. And I just thought it was some spare gear that he had. And I didn't expect a package to show up with all this different stuff. And I was like, this is mind blowing. I, this was awesome. Thanks, dude. <laughs> dude, Steve's the man. I mean, he, he, again, seriously, he's one of the nicest guys in the hobby and is truly an ambassador in that right. I mean, I, I love talking to him and love that he's a part of this great group. Yeah. I mean, I'm never going to stop singing the praises of Steve. I mean, just a, a gentleman and a scholar. You, the The world could use more people like Steve. Um, Agreed. Just, he he's the type of guy that would would probably literally give you the shirt off his back. It's a boss man gray shirt too. That's all he wears. <laughs> <laughs> it would come wrapped around like three pounds of resin too. All right, so that's uh, kind of what's going on with our group builds. Most of you, hopefully all of you listeners know that our buddies over at the Model Geeks are hosting an A4 Skyhawk group build, The Scooter, which I don't know where that name comes from. I would like someone to explain that to me. I was telling uh, my buddy at work about it, and he's like, that's the least threatening name for an attack (laughs) airplane I've ever heard. And I was like, yeah, you know, I kind of think about it. That does Who's scared of a scooter? But anyways, so they're hosting a group build. It's on Facebook. I'm joining it, and I, I'm an armor guy, so I 
think I mentioned it earlier. I just got my my Hasegawa A4M in the mail today. I looked over it. Parts look cool. I've never built an airplane before. Uh, never built a jet. So it should be fun. So if you're an airplane guy and the Spitfire group build in doing it for you and you want to build a jet with a bunch of other cool guys, check out the Model Geeks group build. It's It's pretty fun. You know, I've always assumed that they called it the scooter because for a for a not really modern anymore, but for a jet, it's a really small airplane, closer to to uh, you know World War II sized than than a lot of its contemporaries. You know, the Phantom and others, which were much bigger. It was it's a little airplane, so that's where I always I always assumed that's where the name scooter came from. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm not doing a typical scooter. I'll be doing one of Drakens. They, I just found a digital scheme picture, and it's it's super cool. So I'm I'm in as well. I can't wait to I can't wait to start. I'm doing a free Kuwait color scheme. It's tan and brown. That looks pretty cool. I just wanted to do something that wasn't gray. So I think it may be also important to note for their group build. They aren't limiting scale either. I know Darren's doing a 30 second scale one. I believe. Yeah, it's a it's all scale. So I I got the 48th scale. No, anyway, getting back to their group build, I think it's going to be super fun. I got one lined up. Maybe we can convince Ivan to join as well. I already have joined. Oh, snap. Nice. Yeah, um, I've got the Edward Vietnam scooters box in that has the resin seat and like five different marking Ooh, options. That, whoa, Ty, that's, whoa, a, whoa. that's a jewel. I know, and I got it for £10. Whoa. whoa, whoa. <laughs> so you stole it is what you're saying. <laughs> Yeah, Jeez, man. yeah, that's free. I'm, yeah, I'm calling yeah, Hannitz and reporting a robbery. <laughs> yeah, it's it's again. I've heard amazing things about the Hasegawa uh, scooter. I was like, mm, yeah, go on then. And I was like, yeah, ten pound, absolutely. Robbie, are you a scooter fan? Are you in this? Uh, I'll definitely check it out. Um, for scooters, Canada has never operated them. But as a side note, like as a sub note to history, when we had our aircraft carrier, the Bonaventure. The Argentinian Navy actually flew scooters off that thing to test it to see how small of a carrier they could buy and still fly the Skyhawks. So I'll definitely check that out for sure. The only problem with the used model market up here is uh, it's quite steep. <laughs> I've seen a scooter today of 148th, and I think the guy wanted $120 for it. I think that's like $20 American. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, one one scheme to check out. John was talking about the Draken aggressor schemes. Uh, Draken has some Canadian A fours that are ex Israeli, and they made a special Canadian air show scheme that is stunning. It's got a maple leaf on the tail and kind of a bluish gray camouflage scheme. Might be one of the prettiest uh, Skyhawks ever made. I'll definitely check that out. I love liveries that are rare and kind of different from what you would normally see. Like I know cag birds and that are a big thing, but I, usually I can find things that are a little, a little different just to make them more interesting. So it's time for our social media shout out. So what have we got this week? My first social media shout out is a Facebook page. It's called Salibus, S-A-L-I-B-A-S, Scale Models. And um, you just find her at uh, facebook.com forward slash Saliba models. And she's a car modeler. And the finishes that she's achieving on her little car models is, is just amazing. Uh, she does super smooth, super glossy, really realistic finishes. The latest one she's been working on is a Mini Cooper. And she's done that classic scheme where the entire top of the Mini is painted with a British flag. 
and the clear coats that she's put on that, that finish looks like it's five miles deep. Yeah, I, I, I saw that. That's that's impressive. It's it's not like it's just a, a shiny car. It's a beautiful finish. It's really nice. Just really, really good at, at what she does. So check her out. It's uh, Celebus Scale Models on Facebook. And while we're talking about Facebook, um, Jim Bates, who we heard from earlier, uh, turned me on to a guy um, named Bill Huffman. He's got a YouTube channel and a Facebook page called Scale Model Craft. Three words. And uh, this guy's an incredible craftsman. He does woodworking and modeling both. His dioramas where he's, um, especially the ones where he's incorporating his woodworking and his modeling together are just really, really tremendous. Have you guys seen any of, of his work? Yeah, I'm scrolling through it now. I mean, I everything's really cool and I love how he integrates wood on it. I'm, and the one thing that stands out to me the most is I love his workshop. I feel like it's a room that you could lock yourself in there and be be content for the rest of your life for crying out loud. It's, it's just got a good feel going with all the stuff on the walls, kind of that historical, uh, you know, memorabilia everywhere and his box dioramas that are really well lit. So like you said, not only his models are awesome, but man, his woodworking is top notch, just really beautiful pieces of work. Um, I've, I came across his, uh, channel a couple weeks ago, just randomly. I think it was in my rec, uh, recommended videos. Um, cause he did a, glass display case for i want to say is uh her for one of his island scenes and it was really cool and that like john was saying that woodworking is fantastic and i would also like to point out he has an awesome cat that hangs out in his workshop and then jumps on his shoulders and sits there while he does his videos which is hilarious because i've always wanted a cat that would do that and i none of mine would ever do that yeah so check it out if you get a chance again that scale model craft you can find him on YouTube or on Facebook. He is uh, Bill dot Huffman, H U F F M A N dot one triple zero four. And that's all our social media shout outs. The Triple P is also sponsored by Sean's Custom Model Tools, makers of this super sanding blocks. These blocks allow you to have controlled precision sanding that yields fantastic results. Head over to Sean's Custom Model Tools dot com and order a set today. It's time for our feature interview segment. Scott and I were fortunate enough to be able to sit down and have a chat with Graham Pearson, my former co-host of the Scale Model Shed podcast. Many listeners will be familiar with Graham, and it was a real blast chatting to him again and getting to know his thoughts on the hobby and his personal life. We really hope you enjoy listening to this as much as we did recording it. We really hope you enjoy it. All right, welcome everybody to another Plastic Posse podcast interview. Today, we are going to have an interview. As you all know, we've recently added Ivan Jensen Taylor to the Posse. He's kind of the the head of our UK contingent, and he has done a big, big favor for me, and he has brought in one of his co-hosts from the Scale Model Shed, Graham Pearson. Welcome to the Posse. Well, hello. That was a bit of an introduction. Wow, thank you. Before we uh, turn things over to the uh, Master of Ceremonies, uh, Ivan here, those of you out there that listen to our show know that uh, these two gentlemen, along with uh, Dan, uh, when they were doing the uh, Scale Model Shed, they made a podcast that was 
hugely influential on me, and uh, I really enjoyed it. I was sorry to see the uh, things go, unfortunately for them, but as a result, the posse's here, and uh, you guys, ha- I have a lot to thank you guys for being a part of that. Anyway, with the gushing over, I'm going to turn uh, turn the interview reins over to Ivan. Ivan, take it away. Oh, I'm blushing now. So, um, yes, as as many of you will know, Graham, who was the co-host along with myself at the uh, the Scale Model Shed podcast, uh, a lot of you will know that. But he's also a superb modeler. Uh, with his modeling being featured in publications, he's also a professional train driver. How exciting is that? Nice. Okay. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. So um, tell us about yourself. Tell us about how you got into modeling and uh, when you started taking it a bit more seriously. Those two things happened pretty quickly, actually. Um, I never, well, no, I tell a lie. When I was a kid, I probably got a few Airfix Spitfires and stuff when, you know, from I'm, I'm 48 years old now, so I'm going back to the sort of mid-70s, early 80s. Um, I probably got a couple of Airfix Spitfires that I sat at the kitchen table and attempted to build, but there was never anything. They would probably go together in an afternoon and, paint them all with the brush and that horrible enamel paint out the tins and trying to rinse the brush in water, that kind of stuff, all those things. Probably did it two or three times, threw them out the window to see if they would fly, and that was it. Never thought about scale modeling at all. Never did it as a kid. I think I bought a kit on a whim from a department store in about 2000. It was an Italeri Tornado. Um, I think I got the cockpit together, and then I gave up on it. Never thought anything more about it. But I always had this thing in the back of my head that I'd like to do it one day. Never really thought too much about it. And then it was my eldest son's, I think it was either his ninth or 10th birthday, and we'd ordered, he'd wanted one of these Lego Ninjago kits, one of these mega kits, these huge, great big things. And uh, we'd ordered it, and the day before his birthday, it hadn't arrived. So my wife phoned me panicking and said, what are we going to do? We've got to get him something. And I said, well, he's got other bits. She went, no, no, he needs something else. And I was off work at the time. And she said, quickly, go and buy him something. And I said, like what? And she went, I don't know, a model kit. And to this day, she doesn't know what she meant by model kit. She just <laughs> came up with the first thing that came into her head. So I thought, okay, I'll work with that. Found a store which is similar to Hobby Lobby in the US called Hobby Craft over here. They sell, sell Airfix kits. So I went to the nearest one, which is about 15 miles away, picked up a starter kit. It was an FW190 Airfix kit. And as I picked it up off the thing, I thought, that'll do. And I thought, I tell you what, I'll buy two and we'll build them together. We'll build the same kit. Got them home that afternoon, or I think the following morning, his Lego kit arrived. So come his birthday, and I'm presenting him with this little tiny red box with some paint stuck to the top and a picture of an old plane, which he didn't know what it was. And then this massive Lego kit, of course, he wanted to build the Lego, not the plane. So I said, well, I'll tell you what, mate, you go and build your, your Lego kit. And while you're doing that, I'll have a look on YouTube and see if I can get any tips on how to build a model. And then I fell down a huge rabbit hole. I found a guy that had built the same kit, the FW190 in 70 second scale, and I followed his build. And I thought, this looks really good. And that was it. I was hooked. And I went, I didn't, I, I still haven't built that. It's still sitting behind me. I think I might have glued the cockpit together, possibly. It's sitting up on the shelf behind me there. Um, I went out and bought an Airfix Harrier GR1 and just started building it. I just thought this is amazing. And also it helped, was helping. I was having a lot of problems with mental health at the time, anxiety and depression. And I found straight away very quickly it was helping with that. So I said to my wife, I want to do a bit more of this. And then YouTube got me and I fell into a community that was really welcoming and got me involved. And yeah, 
here I am a few years later. So it all happened really quickly. There's no sort of, oh, I left it when I was 12 and went back to it. It literally just all happened four or five years ago, Ivan, 2016. Yeah, 2016, about the same time as me, was, yeah. yeah. It was all so quickly. Yeah, before I knew it, I was having a shed built in the garden specifically as a, as a model shed. It was, it was crazy, really. And yeah, I've never looked back. It's the, probably the best thing I ever did was going and, and buying that starter kit that I've never built. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's a story I've heard a, a yeah. few times now. And I, I love it. It's like the perfect start to modeling story. Yeah, I mean, you know, lots of people start as a child. I mean, my my parents were never into it. I'm not, again, I'll, I'll probably end up touching on this later on. I'm not into military or I'm not into any sort of vehicles greatly. I don't know what one variation of an aircraft is from another, really. Most of the time, these laugh at me because I don't even know what aircraft are called or tanks are called. I've got no idea. I, I haven't got a clue. I've been to an air show and didn't have a clue what I was watching. It was good fun, but I don't know what I'm watching. So it's it's not really about the subject. It's just about the, the hobby. I just enjoy the process of building and painting, and it, it, I just found it really appealed to me once I started doing it. Um, so it's not, there was no gradual progression. Nothing drew me to it. It wasn't, you know, like some people say, oh, yeah, I read a book or a comic when I was a kid and that, you know, nothing like that. Literally just sticking stuff together and painting. It's fun. <laughs> is it the the act of working with your hands or is it the artistic element of finishing it and kind of making it your own? Or, you know, what what is it that, that makes that so compelling for you? I, I really don't know. I'm not an artistic person at all. I'm not, you know, I, I, I don't draw or paint or anything like that. I do some, um, you know, these uh, coloring books you can get with all that. I've got a really fancy set of coloring pencils and I, I work quite hard at doing that sometimes. But again, that's more for just anxiety relief rather than anything else. But I, I don't know. It's just the, the seeing something come together. I don't sort of strive to replicate any particular aircraft or any particular tank i don't particularly worry about what markings are on it or anything it's just the process of putting it together and i think learning the process as well has been really good um certainly in the early days every time i built something i would try a new technique or at least one new technique on every single build and when i could see just by watching what other people were doing and paying attention to it i could replicate what i was seeing on photographs on Facebook and in magazines, I could get those same effects if I just took my time and paid attention to what I was being taught. And I've never got rid of a model yet. They're all sitting in the cabinet behind me so I can watch my journey through modeling and I can see just how my techniques have improved over the time. And I think part of it is just that, it's the sense of achievement at the end of a build. As in the process of doing it, certainly from a mental health point of view, it's just a focus and just concentration on, on what I'm doing in front of me, it just shuts everything else out. And whether I'm doing it on my own with just a podcast or a, a bit of music playing or whether I'm in a video chat with, with friends and having a laugh and, and whatever, just being isolated from the outside world, it's, it's, it's just great. It's really good. And even now when I'm not really struggling so much as I used to be, it's less of an issue now. It's still nice to come in here when I'm feeling a little bit, you know. <laughs> in fact, my wife will often give me a nudge and say, go in your shed for an hour. Go on, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's really good. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Are you okay later on, Graham, if we kind of come back to the anxiety part of that? Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. If, and if there's anything you're uncomfortable with, just let us know. But no, nothing at all. Nothing at all. And what you're saying is so important. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, um, uh, yeah, all questions welcome on that. I've got nothing. I don't hide anything about that at all. I'm very open. So it's fine. 
So that's how you got into uh, modeling and, and when you started. And like you say, when you do get to the shed now and again, when you're in the mood or the wife gives you the nudge to uh, get in the shed. So when you are in the shed, what are you working on at the minute? At the minute, I've got two kits on the go. I've got the Academy Viper AH1Z. Um, that's pretty much finished. It's in primer, ready to go. I've stalled on that for a little while. I just I had a, a couple of weeks away from the bench and I needed to get back. And what I usually do is start another kit just to get me in the mood. So I'm currently building the um, Tamiya M3 Stewart, late production one. And that has been wonderful. This Tamiya just, you know, I know it's a, a cliche nowadays, but yeah, it just falls together. And I've got that in, that's primed. And I'm doing the night shift 50 shades of olive drab method on that so i've got the nice. uh, i've got number three down so that's ready for hairspray number two to go over the top i've mixed them all to light shifts ratio they look very brown to me but i'll trust him i trust him he's the gaffer <laughs> but you can't you can't really argue with martin can you no absolutely not so yeah i mean i've got various other kits scattered around it part finished i've got the tamir f16 that's sitting up there that just needs ordnance on but i hate doing ordnance and wheels it just and i got that far and i just Every time I go and open the box, I'm like, oh, God, missiles. I don't want to do missiles. But it looks daft without them. So that's sitting there waiting to be finished. And, oh, I've got that, uh, the Mini Art SU-122 full interior kit. No. It doesn't go together very it, it, I spent ages building that interior with all the millions of parts that Mini Art give you. And then when I tried to build the hull up around it, it just doesn't fit. I can't get it to go together. So I've pretty much given up on that. Yeah, I try not to have too many on the go, but I've got a few shelf queens. <laughs> that that Tamiya Stewart is a superb little build, isn't it? It, it was it's great. Fantastic. It was really good because it's so small as well. I'm thinking I might turn that into my first diorama. Ooh. Well, no, it's not my first one, is it? Because my transit was my first one. That was brilliant. You call that a diorama? But yeah, I'm gonna. I think I'm. I'm gonna put that one into a scene of some kind. I think it should be easy. You enough. may become the vignette master. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I agree with the uh, the F-16, though. Like, well, for me, it's not just ordnance. It's just modern jets in general. But Modern yeah, jets? There's modern a lot of <laughs> Yeah, I know what you mean about the ordnance, but it's it's very time-consuming for such small items. But like you say, if they're not under, it looks a bit odd. It's like a phantom with no ordnance. It just yeah. doesn't look right. Yeah. And the, 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 one of the kits that I built recently was the Tamiya Sky Raider. And, of course, you can't have a Sky Raider that's not fully loaded. Even I know that. With my meagre knowledge, it has to be fully racked before you know, to make the model complete. Um, so what I did with that was I did all the ordnance very early on because I knew that if I got to the end and I was just faced with all those missiles to do, I would just crumble. So I did them right at the beginning of the build, got them out of the way, done. And then I knew all I had to do was stick them on at the very end, and it, it, it worked. It worked a treat. And I think the model finished up better for it because I didn't have that worry at the end that I've got to do this. And I, I was just able to spend more time with the weathering and the detailing and stuff, knowing that I, I had nothing to do other than stick some things on the bottom of the wings. But yeah, wheels and ordnance are just horrible. I just hate it. It's so time consuming and tedious. I'd say your strategy worked because I sort of recall seeing that model on the cover of a magazine. <laughs> that was a surprise that came from left field um yeah i um i put some pictures on facebook and in our uh i'm in a, a, a modeling chat group with some friends and one of those guys was connected with the magazine and he saw it and went uh i've just spoken to the editor we want that in the magazine could you write an article for it please 
And that was never my intention. I never, ever intended to have anything published. I took a few minutes to think, well, do I really want it? And I thought, yeah, it's an opportunity. I've got to take it. Um, So I sat down and wrote an article and I wasn't expecting it to be sent as pages and I wasn't expecting it to be on the cover. I I was gobsmacked. Uh, In fact, I've got goose pimples talking about it now. It was a total (laughs) surprise. But yeah, it's an achievement. Whether I'll ever do it again, I don't know. But just to say I've had it once and the magazine's there behind me with the, the, in my, my planes on the front cover and I saw it in WH Smith's and everything. It was amazing. So yeah, that's that's my 15 minutes of fame done and dusted. <laughs> it's well-deserved. Those exhaust stains are very tasty on that Sky Raider. Thank you, yeah. But you've got to be so brave doing that. I did it before on the, um, the I-16, the uh, little... Um, ICM, I-16 and 32nd. That's a beautiful kit, by the way. But when I came to do the Sky Raider, obviously Sky Raider is all about the exhaust stains. And I, I studied photograph after photo. And that's not normally me. I normally don't worry too much about reference pictures. But I was looking and they were all different. And then eventually the penny dropped. And it just like, look, if this thing's just come out of a refit or something, it's going to have virtually nothing on it. If it's been flying for a good few hours, then it's going to be mucky as out. So I thought you can't really go wrong. As long as you just follow the line and get that curve right, you should be okay. and I'd, But when you take your airbrush to your final paintwork and just potentially destroy it with a load of brown sludge, it was quite scary. But I was very chuffed with how it came out. Really pleased. Really pleased. You should be. Great model. Thank you. Yeah, before um, before you came on, me and Scott were actually talking about the I sixteen, the Polycarpov, the Polycarpov yeah. kits, how they're like the perfect size for that aircraft, and yeah. it is a great kit. Something I wanted to talk to you about as well is that that was one of the because we, we all built them as part of a group build, mm-hmm. and I think that was one of the group builds that you, you finished and enjoyed. But I think you're like me now. Group builds aren't really your thing anymore. No, not at all. In fact, that's part of the reason why I never envisaged building for a magazine. If somebody had, had sent me the, had offered to send me a Tamiya Skyrear and said, would you build this for the magazine? I'd have said no. It was only because it was already built. Anything to do with a group build or a buddy build or anything like that, no matter how casual and relaxed it is, it, it puts pressure on me and I... For some reason, I just don't like it. I can't work with that. You know, people say, oh, there's no deadline. It's just a bit of fun. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There's the, the, for some reason, it just throws my head off and I don't want to do it. And I've tried a few times now the Spitfire build that we started with the scale model shed. Um, some of us got a lot further in the dark than others. In fact, <laughs> mine's almost built and I got to the end and just couldn't finish it. I just really couldn't get myself motivated to finish it. Group builds, anything like that just doesn't appeal to me one little bit um I, I don't i can't explain it i really can't explain it somebody came in with a came into work with a, a model train a garden scale big steam locomotive mm-hmm. thing an attender and said uh, he'd seen some photographs of my models and he said oh can i give you this would you he says i'll pay you would you take it home and weather it for me and initially i went yeah yeah it'll be fun to do it's still sat in my garage three years later i just can't i can't touch it it just doesn't doesn't because it's for somebody else and there's pressure on it. No, I can't do it. So no group builds, buddy builds. Nah, not for me. Yeah, I think it's it's the expectation from others, isn't it, that adds that. Oh well, it's it's not for me anymore. It's for the other people who expect it done. Yeah, it's kind of strange because I've got no qualms in sticking photos all over Facebook. Most of the time, there's a few where I haven't put photos on Facebook, like that Sherman and stuff that you know when I slapped all the mud on at the end just to say it was finished. And I didn't post any pictures of that, but usually I'm quite happy to to share images and stuff as I go. So there's no, it's not that I'm shy or anything like that. It's just, I don't know, it's some kind of weird pressure that's on me that I don't like. It's strange, really. 
I mean, I say I'm not into group builds, but I've just committed four builds for the uh, the Omaha show in America. So <laughs> I've, got, yeah. I've got 10 months to do them. We're all just motivated by different things. I'm uh, not anti-group build, but they're, I, I'm a pretty slow builder, so I generally don't do a lot of them. But obviously, we keep being the instigators there. But yeah, we all just have different motivations. I don't think there's any uh, right way or wrong way to approach it. It's just what works for you. I think the only time I've had pressure put on me to finish a build was actually that transit diorama. And on that occasion, that actually worked because that was approaching Telford. And somebody said, would you put it on a table? The, 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 the van itself was built. And I'd always said I wanted to put it on a scene and I'd built it and almost finished it, but I hadn't quite finished it because I wanted to set it into the scene, whatever I ended up building. Someone said they wanted to see it on a table and I said, no, because I want to put it on a, on a on a diorama. And he said, well, you better get it finished then. And I had about four or five weeks or something. I'd never built a diorama before, so I had to literally do it all from just trial and error. On that occasion, the pressure worked for me because... I had to push myself to learn these techniques quickly, and I think it paid off. I look at it now, and I think well, I could improve on that. But it worked on that occasion. But other than that, I've always struggled. But that Polycarpov, that that was such a fun build. I don't even think I remembered it was a group build because it's such a beautiful little kit. No issues with that at all. Other than that sort of cowl, at the top of the engine cowl, I think was a bit of an issue. But we now know why because they did that upgrade set, didn't they? To yeah, it was designed for you to leave that, it exposed yeah. and look down in. But the the little cover that goes on the top that was the only issue with that whole kit, and it's just such a pretty little thing. It really was. And again, I found some off the wall scheme for that. Um, that red and grey scheme that I did it in. It's supposed to have skis on, but I couldn't make any skis, so I just put wheels on it. It's supposed to be some winter scene from Russia somewhere. I don't know. Yeah, it was such a brilliant kit. So that was easy. There was no pressure on that at all because it, it, it didn't feel like I was doing it for anything other than myself then. But since then, I've always struggled. Yeah, that, um, the i16, is. I think we built it in the first couple of weeks that kit came out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and since then, they've released a version with skis and like every other 6,000 different versions that, that aircraft seem to have come in. Yeah, because if you remember, I got the last one at Telford. <laughs> yes, you remember, Because everybody bought them up. We'd agreed to do this build, and we, we, we all decided we were going to build it because it was a newly released kit, and everybody else had managed to buy one but me, and I eventually found one tucked away on one of the stands somewhere, didn't I? It was literally in the last... I think it was Antics, yeah. ...hour of the show, I think, I found it. But yeah, I, I'm glad I did because it was brilliant. I love it. I love it. I slapped a wheel off it last month, actually, when I was um, getting... It, not the month before, when I was getting out to do some photographs, I snapped one of the wheels off and had to glue it back on, but still proud of that. Did a good job on that one, I think. That was the first time I tried doing paint fading. And did you enjoy that? Mm, yeah, yeah, very much so. Another beautiful model. We just keep checking things off the questions I had for you. I, <laughs> I also built that kit, and I used your your uh, build as some inspiration. I love your your winter camouflage with the red wings. It turned out really great. It's wow, great build. Blimey, thank you. Honestly, <laughs> whenever I hear stuff like that, it knocks me sideways because I. Oh, wow. Amazing. Thank you. So what are your favorite, I don't want to say subjects, because you're like me, you, you kind of build anything, but what are your favorite subjects and genres? Or at the minute, what are you, what are you into? I flip between aircraft and armor. Sometimes I'm I'm just in the mood. I don't want to go into all of the, the, the finer detail of, it's hard, well, it's hard to say it because, in fact, I was listening to episode 29 of your show yesterday, I think, in the car, and I think it was Steve was saying there that he found that the exterior detail of armor was more appealing than trying to get the detail inside a cockpit that you're never going to see. 
and I, I, I kind of see what he means now. I've, I've never really considered that before, but a lot of people say oh, armor's easy because you can just throw mud all over it and hide all your mistakes. But no, not if you're building it properly because you don't want any mistakes there in the first place. And I still pay as much attention to armor as I do to an aircraft, but sometimes I just want to build an aircraft because I like them and I don't really care what it is. As long as it looks pretty, I like it. If I like the subject, I'll build it, but half the time I don't know what the subject is. It just looks <laughs> nice on the box. And I do literally build off box art most of the time as well. I'll just, whatever's on the box, I'll build it like that because I don't know what anything else is. I don't understand what a V4F is or whatever. I don't know. It just looks pretty on the box, so I'll build it. I'll obviously ask everybody if it's a good kit before I throw my money at it, but cars, I'm, I've done cars. Don't like cars. Cars are, nah, nah. Shiny things. Not fun. I've, well, no, I've enjoyed the ones I've built, but I've got no desire to go back. I would like to do a ship. I would like to do a big ship. I've done a little one seven hundred thing, but I would like to do a big one. And I've got one that I swapped, did a swap with Ivan, but I'm swapping it back. So I'm <laughs> going out of the box. It's, it's that Tamiya one three fifty scale um, Japanese Tony tone. It's just massive with a full detail upset and everything. It's just. It's just too daunting every time I look at it. So, no, I think I'll probably just stick with aircraft and armour for the time being. Simple aircraft, simple armour. Nothing too fancy. So, you've mentioned the scale model shed. Tell us more about how that came about, because I know you've had an interest in doing podcasts uh, in the past. So, oh, yeah. uh, how did uh, how did scale model shed become a thing? As much as it was a collaboration, I think it, it was a result of me banging on every door I could for years saying, I want to record a podcast. I want to record a podcast. I didn't care what the subject was. I just want to record a podcast. I, I've been into recording and broadcasting. Broadcasting's going back to when I was a kid, recording songs off the radio onto a cassette tape and putting my own little intros and stuff like a radio DJ over the top. I've always loved doing that. And then I got into CB radio and I loved making sure that I had perfect audio. We had FM modulation, FM uh, CB over here, you guys had AM in the States. FM's a lot sharper and crisper sound than AM, so you can play around with echo chambers and things to really punch your vocals out there. And I was always really keen on having my voice sounding powerful and everything. Just loved getting my voice out there. And then I started doing something. There's a podcasting platform at the minute called Audio Boom. Well, that started out as called Audio Boo. I just came across it by pure accident, they started out as doing very short. It was essentially an audio blogging platform. And they started out, you could have a free account and you had three minutes of audio time per day. Or you could buy a premium account, you'd have up to an hour. Even on the free account, you could just record whatever you wanted and publish it. And you had, it was similar to Twitter or Instagram. You had a profile page and all the rest of it and everything was stored there. And a few people who I knew through Twitter were doing this and I tried to do a blog a few times, typing on a keyboard, go off with all good intentions, get three posts in, and then I forget, oh, can't be bothered. It's too much hassle to sit there and edit. So I thought this might be good. And I started recording just random stuff onto this thing called Audio Boo. And then a community evolved around these little micro blogs. So I would talk about something on my micro blog, just record it on my phone with my headset mic. And then somebody else would hear it and they would reply to me. So it was like asynchronous conversations going on two or three days, even sometimes weeks apart, people replying. But I just used to just walk around the house with the thing going, just talking into this mic and then I'd just publish it. And half the time it didn't make any sense, but it did to me. And I just, that feeling of just talking and getting it out there was great. 
and that gave me the bug. And then as podcasting evolved, this is long before podcasts were a big thing. As podcasting evolved and I started listening to them, I just had this yearning. I wanted to do a, a, a podcast, a radio show, whatever you want to call it. And I've tried on many different subjects, hill walking, photography, gaming. I've tried to get a podcast going and it just never seemed to get off the ground. And I tried to get a modeling one going a few years back. We tried, didn't we, Ivan? And it, that it fell on its face. It never got anywhere. And we tried and we tried and we tried. And then eventually it just clicked with myself and Dan and Ivan and it just took off. It, it, I, I was in my element. It's, it was like a dream come true. I wanted to do it for so long, and it was brilliant. It, the way it all came together was fantastic, and we couldn't have wished for anything better. I mean, our first episode hit a thousand downloads in something crazy like a fortnight. It was just madness. How is this happening? So yeah, it was a long. It was basically me banging my head off a wall saying, "I want to record. I want everybody to hear my words." <laughs> and eventually, it happened. Eventually, it happened. And as you can tell, I like to talk a bit. So, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no apologies are needed. I mean, what do you think was different? Was it the guys you were doing the shed with? Or was it leveraging the, the failures that you'd had before and learning how to do it, you know, even better the second time? I think it was really just the type, finally, it be, instead of me going to friends or people that I knew saying shall we record a podcast and me really being the only one who wanted to do it when we started the shed it was the three of us wanted to do it I think it was a conversation I'd had with Ivan a few times that we we, we thought about doing something and then it, I think it had been you know forgotten about for a little while because we've both done YouTube and we've done live modeling shows on YouTube and stuff with them um, with other communities and things I was just having a conversation with Dan one night and I'm, I said you know I want to do it and he just seemed to to latch onto it straight away i think he just started getting into podcasts listening to podcasts himself and he just said i reckon we can do this and i said well if we're going to do it i need ivan on board not just because he's a, he's a good modeler but obviously we've been close for years now we've known each other yeah. what five or six years now so we, we i know we've got the 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 friendship there to allow the chemistry to work which i think is very important but also obviously as we know he's a damn good modeler and he's got a huge stash um, so he knows about all the kits. So you know his, his, his subject knowledge is great, and also he knows a lot about the actual stuff he's building as well. He knows all about the the, the aircraft and armor that he builds. So I said we need Ivan, we need him, and I had a chat, and he was up for it. And the rest is unfortunately <laughs> history now. But yeah, <laughs> it, it it just literally all just the stars aligned, and off it went, and it it was so good, it was so good, and it was amazing how it took off. Amazing, amazing. I think after that first episode, we knew then. We'd got so, something yeah, good. This is this is good. People are enjoying this for some. We reason. had a right laugh doing it as well. It was oh, as yeah. much as it was part of the reason why it failed. Or I had to come to an end was because the, the, we'd gone at it so hard that it was just unsustainable. We couldn't keep keeping that level of content up, and then it was like, what do we cut out? How do we trim it? As much as it was sort of stressful in the build up and stuff, trying to get all the information together, actual recording was just we had just a, a right laugh. You know, we'll be out here for a few hours and into the early hours of the morning sometimes trying to do retakes and all this kind of stuff and getting it right and then up, trying to upload it all. And we were doing it as three separate audio tracks and up, sending them all to Dan. And he was putting them all into um, iTunes or whatever he uses on his garage garage house, garage band. I, I'm not an iOS man, I don't know. But it, it was it was an adventure and it was it was really good fun. I loved it. I loved it. I really look forward to recording night. It was great. It's just It's just good fun to do. It's great fun. And then hearing your voice out there and people replying to you saying, hey, this was great. We loved it. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, the, the really, the greatest thing that I think has ever happened to scale modeling is social media. And I know there's a lot of warts and I know there's a lot of things that, that can be negative, but if you can find and create and contribute to a positive part of the community, the way that we can collaborate, I mean, Ivan and I are our buddies. I live in in Utah in the USA and he lives in the UK. I mean, there is no way that not only that we would have ever met, but certainly he he honored me when he was working on this ambulance kit that I just, I mean, his build is just tremendous. But he actually, you know, asked my opinion on the color for it. And it was like, made my day, you know, it's like, oh, well, this is what I think, you know, getting the chance to do that and to work with each other and, um, you know, on, on a global basis, um, work with each other on our builds in real time. I, I think it's just, it's amazing. And, and I really think social media has taken the forefront from, you know, our culture used to be, we'd go to the local shop, we'd get the latest magazine, you know, and we'd sort of, that was sort of how we got our news. And now it's like real time, like day by day, um, working with each other. So, um, I think it's really exciting. And I think, you know, hearing the excitement that's still in your voice for when you did the shed kind of reflects that. Yeah, definitely. There are a lot of negatives about social media, but what I've sort of had to force myself to do is to block the negatives out and just just focus on the positive stuff and I, I very rarely interact on Facebook groups or anything like that anymore I'll sit I, I, I'm subscribed to a few and to quite a lot actually and I will look at the pictures and I'll read a lot of the comments but I very rarely will I interact because it's a viper pit out there and there were so many people that have got such a high opinion of themselves or their techniques are the best technique and if you do anything different to them you're, you're wrong and this kind of thing but it's, it can be a very, very positive environment. And now and again, you just get that little niche where you find it's a warm and happy place and everybody's there to have fun and, and they're on the same page and nobody's there to pull anybody else down. And that's fantastic. And when you find someone like that, stick with it because the rest of the world is potentially putrid. But I think it's just a case of keeping you, yourself aligned with not getting... I, I used to get embroiled into arguments and stuff and I, ca I just can't do it anymore. It's, it's just pointless. Most of these people are so dogmatic and opinionated that you can't get through to them. And I think to be able to create something of our own where that was totally shut out as well, we wouldn't have any of that. We were all, you know, all about the positives all the time. We we never got into any slating of any other platform or anything like that. It was all positive and we just wouldn't allow any negativity in. Um, and it, it worked for us. It was great. And all the feedback we got was great and the community we got was great. I mean, Ivan and I are moderators on a Facebook group. We never have anything to do with that group, do we? There's never anything for us to do. It just runs along, just ticks along. There's never any fallouts. Well, maybe once or twice in the last six or eight months, we've had a little bit of a spat on there. We just never, we never have to get involved. And nobody does. It just runs itself. And that's very rare, I think, because we've been admins on other Facebook groups before where it's been as volatile as anything. It's very rare. It's hard to explain why, but this particular group that we're part of just ticks along. And again, but I never post on that. I watch, see, see people's posts. I love looking at other people's models, what they've built, because it gives me inspiration. It makes me think, oh, that's a nice little technique they've done there. How have they done that? But I don't like interacting anymore. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I like to say, you know, not to belittle what we do, um, because yeah. it's yeah. so important in so many ways. And we'll get into that in a minute. But 
at the end of the day, what we're doing is we're putting paint on little tiny models. And I think that it's easy to get sucked into sort of this environment where it becomes more than that. And so if you get either direct or implied people that gatekeep or want to say, this is the way it has to be done, it's like, well, no, 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 there's there's millions of, of people out there that are all have different motivations, all have different desires, all have different skills and talents and you know, just want to approach things differently. And, you know, one person may really get off on the research of, you know, they they build a model because they want to know everything there is about a Cromwell Mark IV. You know, if I like seeing pictures of people people's workspaces as well. And you see somebody like, and I, I think of my first pictures of my workspace that I ever posted where it was literally, it was a a folded down gate leg table in the corner of a spare room in the house with a little tiny shelf unit and a few bottles of Vallejo paint sitting on there and a couple of little tiny bottles of thinners and stuff. And now I look what I've got. And I, and I just think I was so proud of that. I was because that felt like a big thing for me to have that little rack with some paint on. And I, I love looking at people's pictures. Now, even guys who have got like a little fold away toolbox and they have to pull it out and sit at the kitchen table and, and, and on a bit of newspaper. That's how I used to do it as a kid. So most people did it as a kid, and, and I, I love seeing all that. And then when people post their first builds, and some people's first builds are really nice and yeah. they do a really good job, and other people build it like a six-year-old and they just literally slap it together and cover it in brush enamel paint and they post it on um, Facebook and say, how can I improve this? And, well, you've got a long way to go, but the fact that that person's had the courage of their own conviction to put this thing together and they must be able to see the other models that are being posted there. They must see the the, the, the chalk and cheese difference between what they've built and what they're seeing, but they still have the courage to put theirs on there and say, right, this is what I've done for my first attempt. How can I improve? And I think that's so enviable, but unfortunately too many times people will mock that. They'll laugh at it. They'll you say, oh mate, try you know, try thinning your paint. You know, stop using Tamiya paint. Use Vallejo paint. No, that's not what these people want to hear. If someone's asking for out and out advice, then give them advice. Don't just tell them what you think is best. That's when it gets frustrating. But I love seeing people's first builds, and and then hopefully looking back again in six months' time and seeing the second and third builds and seeing how much they have improved. You know, they bought an airbrush, and it's all you know, it's coming nice. And that's when I love the social media thing works then. Um, but you've just got to keep that negative element out out of the way, which is hard to get through sometimes. It's really hard. And I'm, I'm ashamed to say that quite often I'll see things posted by beginners and I know I could help them. And they're asking a question and I think I've been there because it's not that long ago since I started. I've been there quite recently. It's all fresh in my memory when I first did this and first did that. And I think I could help you, mate. But I'm not going to because as soon as I tell you what I do, I know for a fact that I'm going to get shot down in flames by the old guard who are going to say, no, I've been building models for 50, 125 years and I've been in IPMS championships 25,000 times and I know everything you don't. And I just, so I just don't bother. I'll just, sorry, I can't be, I can't engage with that. The most refreshing thing I've ever heard was when I was at Telford a few years ago, uh, an old chap in his late 70s came up to a stand and we were talking about something to do with paint, I think it was, and a young lad was asking for some advice and this old boy butted in and he said, you know what, I've been building models for 55 years and I thought, oh, here we go. And he went, 
here's a lesson for you, son. I'm still learning to this day. He said, don't believe anybody who says this is the only way to do it because there's always a new technique to try. And I just looked at this guy and I said, can I shake your hand, please? And this old boy was like, what? I said, honestly, coming from somebody of your age, no offense, but that is really refreshing to hear because they're usually the ones that know this way or the highway. And it was so refreshing and that stuck in my head forever. But unfortunately, they're few and far between those moments. Yeah, that's similar to a post I saw on Facebook a few weeks back. It was... It was a really nice build. I couldn't criticise it in any way, but someone commented below saying, oh, I've noticed you've done this. Why did you do that? And the guy just said, because I wanted to and I like it. And it's like, good. Mm. You've done it because you wanted to do it and you like the look of it because you've built the model for yourself. Yeah. And that that's it. Exactly. I know it's a, it's a, it's it, it's sometimes mocked and, and whatever, but you know it's it's your build, your model, you build it how you want it. And I know that gets churned out a lot and it's become a bit of a, a, a funny cliche but it's true it's you know unless, unless you are building for a competition or for a magazine or for anything in particular if you're just building to keep yourself occupied and because you enjoy doing it why why worry about what anybody else thinks i just it doesn't matter to me don't get me wrong i mean as i've already said earlier getting getting some praise for what you built is is phenomenal but it's not why I build them. I build them because I enjoy sticking bits of plastic together and throwing paint on, which is like you say, Scott, it's ultimately, that's where it's all about. It's just plastic. You know, taking the time, even if you think you're you're going to get shot down, I'm going to encourage you to do that, even if you want to send them a PM, because I know if you're out there and you're just starting up. So for somebody to take the time to send you a message and say, I really mm. liked this and this and this, and to recognize that and to give them a compliment, I think that's going to, in almost every case, it's going to make somebody's day, make somebody's yeah. week, and it's going to probably engage them in a hobby in, in a way that just has more value than probably people realize. You know, a, a, a kind, and Ivan and I were having a discussion the last time we recorded um, with the rest of the guys, and I kind of brought up the subject of, whether you're looking at a model or whatever it is that you're looking for, you can always find what you look for. So if you want to yeah. find things to tear apart, if you want to find things to be critical of, yeah, you can do that. But you know what? You can find something positive too. And you can find, and you can, you can highlight that, that positive and, you know, you can say, Hey, you know, for a first model, that's really, really great. I really liked how how straight your machine gun barrels are and how all of your road wheels are aligned. I don't see anything out of alignment. You did a really, really great job on that. You know, next time on your painting, you know, maybe try this or try something different. But man, you've got that assembly part down. Well, well done. Cracking job. It, it goes it goes a long way. I, I, it, it, I've seen it in photography groups as well. I've seen people, you know, go out and spend a few hundred pounds on a camera and get really excited and they put the first photographs up on a group and say, I've just bought my new camera, you know, can you give me any, any tips? And you just get people to just mock them and say, well, you could try reading the manual for a start or just do a basic photography course or something. And it, you, you'd never see them post again. And there are, I would hazard a guess that around, certainly around the UK, there are probably hundreds of decent cameras sitting in drawers and cupboards that have been used once or twice. And then somebody's had the confidence knocked and they just stick it in the cupboard. Because I think a lot of people think they buy a big camera, it's going to take a good photograph. They don't really understand that um, they need to learn the process of photography. And unless somebody tells them that gently, they just think, oh, I bought this camera, it's it's not very good, and they stick it in the cupboard. 
And it's the same same with models. You know, I think people sort of see these fancy builds and think, oh, well, I, I can do that. No, you can't. It's a long process to learn all of that uh, for most people. And I think if somebody's encouraged and, and gently pushed forward, like I was, it, it, it's a, it, it makes all the difference. If I'd posted a picture of my first model and somebody had laughed it laughed it down, I probably wouldn't have built any more, to be quite honest. Uh, if I'm if I'm being totally truthful, it was the fact that you know I was pretty much handheld through the process by Ivan and a, a, a few other guys, and the end result turned out all right for my first build, and I'm still quite proud of it to this day for my first ever completed model. If that had been laughed down, I probably wouldn't have come back to it. As much as it was helping me in other ways, I don't think I'd have. I'd have done any more. It was only because it was such a positive experience in the first place. And I think everybody needs that. Yeah, I mean, this hobby is supposed to be fun, but it can also be tremendously rewarding if you feel that esprit de corps. If you have buddies, if you have people um, that are there and, and are kind of helping you because, you know, people start the hobby and they look around and they see Martin's work on YouTube and, you know, they see magazines and they see and they what they really want to know and what they're really saying is, you know, help me, encourage me. I'd like to improve my models to get to this point. Absolutely. I was just going to say, picking up on, on, on Martin Kovac, obviously um, Night Shift, I think where he has broken ground over, there, let's face it, there are some fantastic models out there on YouTube. Plasmo is an obvious choice. I, I love watching David's work. I think he turns out some amazing models. And I think his videos are very informative and they're just entertaining to watch. And then Martin came along and in a very easily accessible way, and you almost don't notice the depth that he's going into when he's doing his tutorials. You think that first ball tank that Martin showed his very first video, that just blew everybody away because he was funny, it was engaging. And by the time he got to the end of that series, if you look back at it and watch it again, he was doing distressing techniques and all kinds of stuff. It didn't seem like he was going that deep into it, but these are really complex techniques. But the way he did it, and I'm doing the 50 Shades of Olive Drab, which is using a similar technique, you don't really notice how how intense it's been until he did that one. Do you remember where he said he'd spent like 75 hours or something chipping? And you think, oh my word, this is heavy work. But, but if you watch that and you can see it condensed down and it's easy to think, oh yeah, I can do that in an hour as well, just like he's done. But once you learn that you can't, but then it's up to you. Do you want to spend 75 hours chipping? And he said himself in the following series, I think, you know, I'm not going to do that again. I just did it to see what would happen. You can take what he's done and you can condense it down your own way or manipulate it your own way and i think that's the gem that martin's hit on i don't think anybody else has done it quite like that other than him and i think that's why he's so popular and his builds are amazing as well but it's just you know when he says oh i've never painted a figure before <laughs> comes up with this award-winning figure like, wow martin what can i say but i just think he broke ground on that no nobody's done that before and i don't think since not that i've seen not in such an accessible way you either get very superficial, you know, I did this, I sprayed a bit of that on and it worked, or you get really in-depth, but it's too in-depth to kind of entertain most people. And Martin's just found that niche, I think, and it's, he's, he's amazing. And I don't want to sort of blow smoke or anything, but he is. And that's when anybody wanting to build armour, you can just say, right, go and watch Night Shift. Don't expect to turn your models to turn out like his, certainly not in a 20-minute Space of time, like you're seeing on YouTube, it's obviously condensed down a lot. But go and watch and then just adapt that to your own techniques, to your own sort of level. How, how deep do you want to go? 
You know, the one thing before we leave uh, the night shift, I think I think one area where his channel is starting to really evolve, and I talked with him about it, about it the last time he was on with us, but he's gone from just, you know, his normal amazing modeling and demonstration and showing you how he's done to trying things new and different ways, not with the goal of becoming a better modeler, but with the goal of becoming more efficient and taking something that used to take six hours and having it take an hour. And I, I really think for me, there's a lot of value in that because um, it isn't just the quality of the modeling, but it's also your approach and being willing to be open to new things that can really benefit you in your own builds. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And again, it's that comes back to that thing. You never, you never, you never stop learning. You're always, there's always a new technique to try. Always something else you can push yourself to. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's, he's, he's definitely an ambassador for the social media side of the hobby, I would say, without a doubt. Um, and, and deserves every accolade he gets. But if there could be more like that, more positive guidance and positive encouragement and, you know, how deep do you want to go? Um, and less just sort of knee jerk. You know, a very f- famous thing that came up must be probably about six months ago now. Somebody put a picture of an airbrush on Facebook. And it was one of these sort of generic sort of Chinese things that comes in the clear perspex thing with a blue foam molding around it. And you got the thing in the hose and the airbrush sitting in the middle. You could see it was just a, a Chinese thing that he bought off of Facebook or off of eBay, sorry. And this guy said, I can't get this to work. Any advice before I send it back? I've just bought it. And the alarm bells rang in my head straight away because all it was was a picture of an airbrush in a box. And I thought, hang on a minute. He's just bought this and he can't get it to work. He said the paint just dribbles out of the end. I knew straight away what it was. It took seven comments, seven different people commenting. The first one was, don't use Vallejo paint, use Tamiya. The second one was, um, thin it with tap water or something, or thin it with such and such, whatever. Turn your pressure up. Have you checked the, the, the nozzles tighten properly? All these different things. And then eventually somebody said, what pressure have you got your compressor set at? And I knew it was a loaded question. And the guy said, I don't need a compressor. It's gravity fed. The guy had gone and bought an airbrush, and he'd seen gravity fed on the thing. He just thought that gravity was going to push the pain through for him. He didn't. He obviously didn't know. I spotted it straight away. But even after that comment was made and the Gary plan said, oh, no, mate, sorry, you've misunderstood. You need a compressor on it. Looking for another 20 or 30 comments below, it was still people shouting, oh, stop using Tammy or it's rubbish. You need to use Vallejo. You need to use Umbrella. Oh, it, it, was, it was just ridiculous. And nobody had actually read or even thought about qualifying the guy's question before they came in with their answer of what they know works best. And that just summed it up for me. And that guy, I don't know what the outcome was. I didn't go back to it, but that poor fella was just probably bamboozled by all the... But if that one guy hadn't asked the question, and I knew it was a loaded question, rather than saying, well, actually, have we plugged it into a compressor? He was trying to be nice about it. What pressure are you using? What do you mean, what pressure? I haven't got a compressor. And that was it, bingo. But nobody else thought to qualify it. Crazy. It's just people who've just got their own opinions and they just want to go, bang, have, have my opinion because my, my way of doing it is the only way that it's going to work because I've been in 11200 magazines. It's like the time we were both at the RAF Cosford show, which is an yeah. amazing show and I would love to see it back someday. We were at Spencer's table yes. and I think he was talking to us for over an hour about how yes. to do that wood chipping on the Stuart. 
it's when you get people like that who are willing to just give you all the advice in the world and take the time to tell you yeah. exactly what they did and how they did it. And it's it, that, the stuff like that's great because I think it's been mentioned. A lot of people like to think as well, I've built this model. Yeah, I know it's good. And I'm not going to yeah. tell any of you how I did it. Yeah, no. Like, well, that doesn't help anyone. No. Why, why, why are you so precious about it? It's a piece of plastic with some paint on it. Why, why are you striving to be the only gold medal winner at next year's Telford show? Or, or, or why, why are you keeping all this a secret? Don't keep it a secret and don't be condescending or patronizing to anybody else who wants to learn how to do it just because they haven't you know, been building for 1,100 years and, 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 and won seven, seven awards. It's, no, pass it on. Pass it on. It, you probably see behind me there's some radio-controlled cars up there. I, I see people on Facebook groups or things when they are referred to as toys, people get very angry. Um, no, they're a toy. They're an absolute, they're an expensive toy, um, but they are a toy. They, we buy them and we play with them. And quite often people complain, oh, why are the models model kits always in the toy section? Because let's face it, they're just a toy. They're just a bit of fun to do, to pass the time. There's nothing serious about it. Once upon a time, they were only aimed at kids. They're just a bit of fun. It's just a toy. Just because you're 50 yard and playing with it, it doesn't make it any less of a toy than what it was when you were six. It's the same thing. It's, you do it for fun and amusement. What, what more What more can you ask for? It's a toy. <laughs> yep, ex- exactly, exactly. Well, that's this is a great place to transition to, even though they are toys, I think sort of the greater good. So the first thing that I want to ask you about, you know, we recently had Jason Champion on our show. We've had other guests on our show, and they've talked about the power that this hobby and the people that are in this hobby have to help people with with challenges. You know, modeling tends to be a little bit solitary. You know, Graham, I know you've been uh, locked away in a shed by by the missus <laughs> so that so that you keep the mess contained. But, you know, all joking aside, we kind of, you know, I, I, I model down in, in a basement in my room and in, in my house. And um, it's a little bit solitary, but if if you wouldn't mind, maybe just talk about how modeling and your friends that model in the community has helped you deal with some of your personal struggles. Yeah, no problem. I'm I'm very open about all of this because I think the more people that are open about it, the better it'll be. Um, I've dealt with anxiety and depression on and off for probably since I was a kid, if I think back, there's a few incidents I can think of when I was a kid that scream, that was an anxiety attack. But probably as an adult, certainly for 20 years, and I've tried dealing with it myself, didn't do a very good job of it. I've taken medication and that helped a bit. But when I first sat down to build that first model kit, that Harrier, I just found that I would go up to that spare room, I would sit at that table and I would lose myself for an hour and a half. When I came out of it, my wife noticed it. She, she, she said, when you come down from that room, you're a different person. She says, I can see you're all wound up when you've gone up there and you're coming back so relaxed. And I thought about it and I, and I, I did genuinely feel, once I realized what was happening, I, I, I knew that, that it was just helping me. I can't explain it. I think it's just the focus on what you're doing and just basically blocking everything else out to some degree, like I say, I can quite comfortably sit and have a chat for two hours with Ivan with with a group of people on a video call. I can have a podcast playing or a bit of music playing. It, it, the same thing happens, just the process, just the, 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 the concept of being at this bench with a bit of plastic in front of me just takes me to a 
place where everything's good and happy and there's no drama and nothing can go wrong and it just like even if there are problems outside you can forget them for a little while and i just noticed it was really helping me and my wife noticed and that hence why she was keen to get the shed and everything so i could literally take it on full time and then soon after that i'm i'm ex royal air force uh, um did eight years when i just after i left school i'm not a veteran i didn't i never went to never went into into theater I was always, you know, rear echelon back in the UK on a sleepy hollow base in deepest, darkest Oxfordshire. But I think once you've been in the military in any capacity, you've got a bit of an empathy with anybody else who's been through it. Not long after I started modelling and started realising the benefits for me, that's when I came across Malcolm Childs and he just started out Models for Heroes then. Straight away, I, I want a piece of that. I can see how much it's helping me. I'm, I'm a forces vet. Um, I, I understand some of the pressures that, that people in the force, nothing like what these guys have been into theatre are feeling. And I looked into it a bit more and, and, and I've done a couple of workshops now for, for Malcolm. I've got another one that's just brewing that myself and a, a friend of mine are looking to start up. And I've sat with people who are suffering really badly with PTSD and all this kind of thing. And I've seen them over the course of a few weeks just change, just literally change. Totally transformed. To come into a, we had one guy in particular that I, obviously I, I can't sort of disclose anything more than that. But he came to a session and he wouldn't speak. He wouldn't speak to anybody. There were model kits out on the table in front of him. He wouldn't touch anything. He just sat there with his arms folded for an hour. Wouldn't move. Wouldn't talk. Four weeks later, he was the life and soul of the group. He couldn't wait to get in. He was straight into the kit building. He was cracking jokes. He was throwing out insults. He was taking it on the chin. He was offering to make cups of tea. He just totally changed in four sessions of just sitting, talking to us about him. And nobody put any pressure on him. My mate went and sat beside him and just said, have you seen what I'm doing here? And he says he was just gluing a bit. He says, see, so if I put a bit of this Tamiya thin down there, look, it just holds it together and you see how it works. And this lad just sat there and went, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just gradually just came out. As far as I'm aware, the last time I, I saw him, he was doing it of his own accord. He had his own modeling bench at home and he was building stuff and it was helping him. And there are so many stories like that. If you speak to Malcolm for any length of time, the, the number of people who this has benefited, it's amazing, to be quite honest. Going back, it's just plastic and paint, toys. But for some reason, just sitting there building can just help in so many ways. And if there's, if there's an escape, I've never I've never been one to be drawn to, to, to drugs or drink or anything to get over my problems but obviously a lot of people are and i think if i can show somebody how to stick a bit of plastic together rather than screwing the top of a bottle of whiskey to to get away from their problems that's that's job done for me and there's there's more and more people i think are now realizing just and it's not it's not just model making any crafting of any kind that's why i do the coloring books and that kind of thing or people do cross stitch and any i just think it's the the crafting that focus that you need is some bizarrely unexpected therapy that I don't think anybody can. You, you can't. You can't get that over the counter from the drugstore. You can't. It's. It, yeah. You know. It's. It's better than any drug. I think. Or, or. Or. Any other outlet. You know. Not everybody can get out and do exercise. You know. People say go out and ride a bike or whatever. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody is comfortable going out of the house. I've been at points where I, I was terrified to leave the house. Not everybody can get out to go for a walk or go to the shops and meet people. And this is when the social media thing comes in again because it is possible to get involved in little sort of micro groups where you can talk freely with people or, you know, you can have a video chat with somebody and, you know, I, not so much as a group thing nowadays, but Ivan and I will sit 
and we'll we'll we don't put our cameras on faces. Cameras is literally pointing down at the bench, and we'll talk about any old rubbish. Or a lot of time we'll not talk at all. We'll just be connected by some interwebs. But we're both modelling, and or maybe even not modelling. We're just in that space together, albeit virtually. You don't have to say anything. It's just knowing you've got that connection to somebody. And if you if your head's in the wrong place, it'll soon come round to the right place. Especially if you've got somebody who's dealing with it as well, who's understanding. So you know, if you can pick up on the little signs, I know when Ivan's upset. He knows when I'm upset. And it's not necessarily because of anything more than we just understand the the body language and the 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 emotions that it's involved. And we also both fully get the fact that just sitting at your bench for a little while takes it all away. It's brilliant. It's amazing. Great for modelling. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time, for me, it was the first time someone ever understood it, and it was you, because there was me, you, and a couple of other people in a in a in a hangout or video call, whatever it was, and I, I did a double breath, yeah, and you 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 caught that straight away, yeah, and you knew what that was because I do it, and it, yeah, and I, I I didn't even notice myself do it, and you, you, we we spoke about it afterwards. I was like, that's it's it's weird because I didn't notice what you did, but it's nice to have. It's like he understands, he gets it, yeah. Because other people, you try and tell them, like, oh, just calm down. It's all right. No. Just don't think about it. It's like, no, no, I think about it all the time. Yeah. And I can't just calm down. Yeah. The thought of going to work in the morning, it's like I, I, I'm having a panic attack, yeah. doing something I know how to do. I do it well, and I'm around people I know. But, yeah, it's it's that dragging yourself out mm. to do it. Yeah. For anybody who doesn't get that, for, for me, it manifests itself with little um... – bizarre the most bizarre flashback so you can be sitting in a in a car in a room at a desk in a restaurant with me and all of a sudden you'll hear me go <sighs> like that just a sharp intake of breath and a shudder and people look and go you're right uh, yeah and what's happened at that point is i've had a flashback of some kind and not some lsd kind of flashback just a short sharp memory of something that's happened in the past and I'm talking things that I've done when I was a kid, 30, 40 years ago. And I've got just a very vivid memory of something I've said, something I've done, which might have upset somebody, which might have made me look silly, which somebody might have taken offense to. The person or people who I was speaking to at the time probably have no recollection of that event at all. It can be something so small. And a lot of the time, I can't even remember where it is. It's a flash, literally a flash of a memory. <sighs> And, I, and it, it knocks me backwards. And I think, oh, my God, I wish I'd never said that. And that can start a whole chain of events. If I don't change my tack then straight away and, and put some music on, change the radio station, turn around and walk in a different direction, I've got to do something straight away to, even if I just sit up and adjust how I'm sitting, that can take me on a, a downward spiral. And it's bizarre. It's absolutely mad. Some of the things that I think about that I've said or done, and, and some of them are repeated. Some of them, the, the same memory keeps coming back. Other times it's just random stuff that just pops out of nowhere and it can be triggered by a song or a, a thing on TV or something I've read or it can just happen. And it's really bizarre. And the first time I even did that, um, it, I, I just picked up on it straight away. I was like, I do that. And I know exactly what's going on there. You're, you're having a bit of an attack there. You're, something, something, something's triggered you. It might not be the same flashbacks as I get, but something's triggering and I knew it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really strange thing. It's a really strange thing. I've now... Um, through Models for Heroes, I'm now a, a qualified mental health first aider. And that was, um, if oh, if ever you get a chance to do that course, it's so good. It's so good. It just, if everybody could do that course 
mental health would be much better understood because it just gives you a really, even as somebody who's been dealing with this for years, to do that course and to see it from a different perspective was was just amazing. It, fascinated, it opened my eyes. It helped me to deal with my own personal things, but I've, I've dealt with people at work since and, and, and in other situations where it's, it's helped. It's helped and they don't even know. They don't even know I've helped them because of the way that this just helped me to approach and to to just encourage a little bit possibly um to for somebody to let it out they don't even know i can think of two people that i've spoken to they've got no clue that i've sussed it and i've just tapped them up and it's helped them and they've got they don't know they don't know because just because of what that course taught me um if you ever you get a chance to do it it's just amazing it's amazing and i, I think it needs to be more publicly i know a lot of people are coming out a lot of famous people are coming out saying that they've suffered with it and this kind of thing but i still don't think it's talked about enough in the right context i think you know it's it's and then a lot of the time as well and it's it's horrible to have to say it but if you think back 20 years if you wanted an excuse to get off work you had a bad back because half the time doctors can't tell why you've got a bad back if you say you've got a bad back you've got a bad back Nowadays, unfortunately, a lot of people are misrepresenting the mental health problems by saying, oh, I'm stressed, I'm depressed. No, you're not, because you would know about it if you actually were. Um, it's too easy for people to wave the flag, which is unfortunate. But again, you can't decry anybody for saying that because they could be genuine. But a lot of the time you can look and think, no, you're not. No, you're not. So it, it, that's an unfortunate downside of it. And I think it's that hard balance between everybody's jumping up and saying, I've got these problems and I'm happy to talk about it against the other people who jump up and say, I've got this problem because it suits me to have this problem. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Either way, the more it's talked about, the better. Because the, the more it's talked about, the more people are aware of it, the more the people who are just using it as a, an excuse, if you like, will be sussed out because everybody will understand the symptoms, the signs. The old adage of, if you've got a broken leg, everybody will come up and say, you know, do you want me to carry that for you, mate? Do you want to lift? You've got a broken head. Nobody can see it. And it's 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 quite challenging sometimes to get people to understand that. I still get people regularly say, oh, I don't believe in all that mumbo jumbo. That's just rubbish, that is. You just need to cheer up and sort yourself out. No, 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 no. It seems like if we were all more open about this and um, like with Jason, he mentioned that some of the guys in his group are like you two, where a couple of the guys in his group had been experiencing similar things. And so they recognized it in him and they reached out to him and said, I'm here for you. You call mm. me day or night. And then when he has those issues, they talk airplanes, they mm. talk, you know, they talk Spanish civil war and, and, and everything. And it, it seems like you guys have that bond as well. But if we could just be more open, you know, I think we could help each other more, like you're saying, but also, it seems like what I hear in your voice, that passion to help other people, it almost seems like when you help other people, that helps you oh, gosh, too. Yeah. It like comes back to you in return. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely, 100%. And it, it, it becomes easier to understand when, when people don't. It's happened with us where we've, you know, I've sort of maybe sent a message to Ivan or I've arranged to come in here and have a chat with him on that, and I've just not heard from him. I've just not had a reply, not had a response. And it'd be very easy to get upset at that and go, oh, bloody hell, I've been sitting here for an hour, he hasn't turned up. No, I'm not upset. I know exactly what's happening. For some reason, he's gone to sit at that that desk or he's gone to go upstairs 
and he's for some is like you said going to work doing what he does best and he knows the people around him but for some reason suddenly he doesn't want to do it and he's had a you know, he's had a panic and I've had it myself where I've I've arranged to come in here and 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 I've just I can't do it I just can't do it tonight I don't want to be in there tonight I just want to be sitting on the sofa with my wife I've just recently started wild camping again and I actually <laughs> that's another thing that helps me to clear my head sleeping on a mountaintop in a flimsy tent believe it or not is really good for the soul bizarrely but I actually I found that was helping me but then I actually had to give it up because I was having massive separation anxiety. Every time I went out to try and go camping, I just wanted to be home with my wife. I just couldn't bear to be away from home. Thankfully, I've now come through that and I'm getting back into it again, which is part of the reason why I haven't been modeling recently, much recently. But um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it, it's, it's not something that's got an absolute solution for. It's, it varies from person to person. And I just think if you've got a general understanding of what people can go through, and how it affects different people, then that would benefit the world so much. I know that sounds like a bit of a crass thing to say, but it, 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 I'm, I genuinely mean it. Just by understanding that if someone doesn't turn up, it's not because they're being rude. Maybe they're having some issues. If someone doesn't reply to your message straight away when they've read it, don't get offended. They'll reply eventually. Maybe they're just not in the right frame of mind to reply to the joke you've just sent them, you know, or they don't want to commit to that meeting tomorrow or whatever. It's just a little bit of compassion goes a long way. And it's much easier to understand when you've dealt with it yourself. I think the more people that become aware of, of that would benefit everybody greatly, hugely. Well, I want to, I want to thank you both for being open about this and we're at the posse. We're going to continue to talk about this because there's great value in it. You know, we're a tight community. We should all be looking out for each other and be there for each other. And I want to circle back to Malcolm really quick and mm. just say um, he's a hero of mine. Malcolm, if you're hearing this, that's the truth. Uh, what you do for people and what your organization has done for people, it's just so commendable. It, it really is. It really is. And the, the opportunity as well, which I think a lot of people miss, the opportunity to get involved with a group is so rewarding as well. Even if you, if you, even if you don't have any mental health problems, if you could volunteer your services to just go and show some people how to stick bits of plastic together and apply a bit of paint, and see that change in those those people, you you, it's 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 life affirming. It really is. I know that sounds over dramatic, but it genuinely is. When you see somebody come out of their shell like that, and you know they're going home a happy person than when they came. It's it's brilliant. It really is. A couple of things that I wanted to talk about with you. First of all, um, I'm an admirer of your scale model photography. Um, I think you're a fantastic photographer and wondered if maybe you had some tips or something that you could share. You know, maybe if somebody's just picked up a camera, Ivan. And, uh, or, and, and maybe they're not using it a, a lot or, you know, so, something that you could help uh, somebody with. Um, thank you for a start. Um, up until very recently, all my, all my photographs have been taken with a mobile phone and a very basic lighting setup. It is possible. Um, I think Will Patterson's done a whole video on how to take photographs with a mobile phone and make them presentable 
the fundamental thing is light lots and lots and lots of light it's hard to have too much light when you're photographing something so small and even light and if you can get a, a plain background rather than all the clutter on your bench fair enough if you take an inbuilt shot and you just want to show somebody i've just stuck these bombs on why do you want to stick bombs on the horrible things but anyway um if you just want to take a quick snap to to, to send to your friends or stick on facebook quickly then maybe not worry, worry too much about it but clear background lots of lighting as for using the camera I've only recently just picked up another DSLR. I used to be into photography quite heavily um, a, a, a few years ago. I like doing sort of arty shots. I'm, I'm a sucker for a contrasty mono. I love black and white and this kind of thing. And then I, I fell out of it and got into the modeling. But I found, after I'd sold my camera, I found that I really needed a better camera. I needed another SLR or, or, or something similar to take better photographs of my models. So... I asked a couple of people who publish for magazines, who provide work for magazines, what cameras they were using. It doesn't really matter. I just got an, a nice idea for a particular setup that a couple of guys were using, and I've ended up with a, a Sony camera. But really, it doesn't matter. Any good DSLR camera will do the job, but you can do it with your phone. If you're using a DSLR camera, I've just gone through this with Ivan, because you buy this cam camera and it's got so many knobs and buttons and lights and things and you don't know what any of it does and it's all overwhelming and you look on YouTube and that can be overwhelming as well. But ultimately, if all you're taking pictures of is your model and you've got the lighting, you've got your nice plain background, white's probably best. The simplest way to take a photograph of a model is to think about what you want to achieve. You want it to be in focus and you want the whole model to be in focus. You don't just want the front corner or the one wing or the nose or the propeller to be in focus and the rest of it all blurred. You want it in focus from front to back. You achieve that through adjusting the aperture or the depth of field of the image. Stick your camera on a tripod, and I've just done this with Ivan and he was blown away because he was getting all this advice from all over the shop, people telling him which settings to use and this, that and the other. Right, Ivan, stick your camera on a tripod. It's not going to move when you, so you've got no worries about your shutter speed because if you go for a depth of field, you're closing the aperture down. You're putting a tiny little hole for all that light to get through. And the way to compensate for that is to open the shutter for longer. Now, normally that would introduce camera shake, etc. So you stick it on a tripod, select A, aperture priority, wind that aperture up to whatever you want to really, F22, F24, as high as you want. And that's going to get you your model in focus from front to back, focus at the middle of the model. Put a self-timer on the camera for two seconds, five seconds, just to give you plenty of chance to get clear of it. Make sure all your lights are on. Press the shutter. Click. Done. And that, as long as you've got a half-decent editing program, something like Lightroom or even one of the free ones, is it Pix, Picasa? Something like that. There's a free editing suite out there. I think it's called Picasa or something like that. There's a few of them. Even Snapseed on your mobile phone. That's it. That's all you need to do. And then you can just adjust the exposure if you shoot raw, that's even better because then you can play around to your heart's content. You've got so much data to play with. Adjust your exposure. Maybe adjust the contrast a little bit. Maybe adjust the clarity if you want to get into it. Nothing more to it than that. It's the simplest way to do it. And to be honest with you, even when I'm taking photographs outside, I work in aperture priority all the time. I focus on composition and depth of field. And that's all I'm interested in. The rest I can do in post. And editing software now is so easy to use and it's so accessible. There's no need to get bogged down with settings and stuff like that. Lots of light, a half-decent camera, and you can literally, you could do that with a camera you can pick up off Facebook Marketplace for £100 or less. A cheap DSLR with a basic lens on it will give you great results if you know how to use it properly.
the problem is when you ask, how do I use this? People go, oh, well, you need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do a degree in photography. And no, you don't. No, you don't. You need to go in aperture priority, set your depth of the field right, maybe take a few practice shots and then stick it in Lightroom or something and boost the exposure a little bit or bring it down, whatever you need to do. It's simple. My images come out well. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with how they come out, but there's no rocket science behind it. I'm not a great photographer. I just understand the basic techniques and I've played around a bit. And I think aperture priority and a bright light and a clear background is the way to do it. So I'd say my problem there is a few years ago, I bought like one of the more expensive cameras I could find to be like, right, what do I do with this then? And uh, it was the wrong camera. It had a very small, uh, low f-stop. It was just not for modeling. And then luckily, Mark has given me a recommendation for the camera and lens. And then I went to Graham. I was like, right, what do I do with this? <laughs> and luckily, all my pictures, I'd like to think now, turn out pretty well. Using that exact yeah, doing exactly what you said, because like you said, we were in a video chat like this, 10 minutes, boom, like a crystal clear image. I literally just, just came and I said, right, find your factory reset button, reset the camera back to zero, switch it to raw, stick it on your tripod, turn it to A on the dial at the top, half press the shutter, make sure this middle square in the middle of your lens is on the middle of the model, half press the shutter, and then... Um, turn your f-stop up to f20, 22, 24, whatever you can get it to, and that's going to guarantee you're in focus. And literally, you press the shutter for the first time, put the image up on his laptop and went on his computer and went, oh, wow. And I said, right, now just open your editing suite and just boost the exposure or boost the contrast a little bit. And he went, I, I can't believe this. And he literally took one photograph and it worked first time. And there was no faffing about. He didn't have to go and do a photography course. And I've been telling him for weeks, go and go and learn the exposure triangle. Go on YouTube. And he just wouldn't do it. I was like, right, oh, okay. <laughs> too many voices and too many videos. I was like, oh, these people all confuse me. I know what he needs. He needs a bit of Graham therapy. <laughs> so, Ivan, what's your favorite model that Graham's done? Oh, see, the, the transit diorama, that is, that is special. That is a really fantastic build. I do love that. Mm, thank but you. But I'd really like his 109. See, I love 109s, and that, which is also featured in a magazine, I will add. I did, yeah. That, that 109 is, that is, that is beautiful. And I think that was, you, you followed a, a YouTube step-by-step of the 109 E4 yeah. or E3. Yeah. Uh, Fix 148. Yeah, that's, that's a kit I always wanted to build and never did. And then Graham did it. I was like, that's a nice-looking kit. And yeah. he's built that really well. And uh, the reason it's one of my favourites is, Graham will probably talk about this more in a minute, is that when building it, he had a big error on it. And rather than get annoyed with it, he was like, right, how can I fix it? And he fixed it and you'd never notice. You'd never know there's a problem. So uh, that 109, that that's something that really I remember a lot. Thanks, man. Yeah, that was my third ever build. It's the, only, it's the third kit I built. I built a Harrier and then I built a Red Arrows Fallen Nat, the Airfix um, 48 scale kit, I think it was. And then I built the 109 48 Airfix E4 variant with the yellow nose, yellow wing tips. And I did follow the YouTube guide on that, some techniques on there, which I don't use anymore, a lot of um, pre-shading panel lines and stuff like that. But it worked for me at the time. The error that Ivan's referred to. <laughs> so I was new. It was my third model. And I thought that I could mask out because it was a splinter camo down the wings. And I'd masked all that off with Tamiya tape, nice and sharp. And I'm quite impressed with how well that turned out because it is it is crisp and it's perfectly lined up. But for the fuselage, I thought I could save a bit of time and a bit of money here. And I just stuck some household masking tape on it. And then when I peeled it all off, all the paint came off the whole nose from front to back and a bit down the spine as well. 
and this is the third model I've ever built and I've just literally pulled it off back to bare plastic and I've looked at it and thought, oh, what do I do now? And I, this is one of the things, again, coming back to the mental health thing, I'm, 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 a, I'm a rager. If something doesn't go right, I will throw something, I'll shout, I'll scream, I'll punch a table. I'll, I am a ragey person if things don't go right. I never even... I never even felt a wave of anger at all. It was like, oh, um, right. Excuse me, guys, this is what I've done. What do I need to do to put it right? And that, to me, is stuck. I've never got angry with a model, and I've made some monumental mistakes. I've never got angry with it, and that that sort of set the precedent for me. It was another little belt to say, you need to do more of this because it's good for you. Um, but, yeah, so I ended up sanding it back and um, masking it off and then repainting the bits that I'd, I'd pulled off. And, again, that, in fact, that was the first aircraft that went into a magazine because that went in as a... What was it, basic review or something? Or I think it was a, a general review. review of the kit. Yeah. Which is, it's not a, it's not a full article. It was just a very brief kit review. It's an unpaid sort of freebie thing that you do for the magazines. But again, that was exactly the same. I, when I bought the new camera and got the new lighting set up, I took some photographs of it again. And somebody, same fella saw them and said, that's amazing. Can we have that for the magazine? I just went, um, yeah. And the, literally it was the third model I ever built. But I had some good guidance, you see. I had people around me then, already at that stage, helping me along the way. And it, it paid off. And I, I am still proud of it to this day. This, I'm looking at it now and I think, there's some things I would change. But I, I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm, I, I am very proud of it, to be honest. If I'm, if I'm trying to not be so humble and, and be honest with myself, I am. I'm really proud of it. There's nothing wrong with taking pride in your work. No. None at all. Well, we've spoken kind of about a couple of your models that I admire, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say my favorite is probably your Polycarpov. Wow! But I am looking forward to your AH1Z Cobra um, Viper. Um, you know, see how that turns out. But let me ask you this: uh, What's your favorite model, and and maybe tell us why? Hmm, that's a really good question. I think I have to say that that Polycarpov. I, I do keep looking at that. I just remember that that was the first time I really went out to create something rather than just building off a box. And it was the first time I tried paint fading, you know, panel fading and all that kind of stuff using an airbrush. And I spent hours making little swirly patterns to to fade it all. And and, it, and the the end result I I I'm, I am so so pleased with. But I have to I, that that Sky Raider I just love it. Not so much as much as I say the 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 I sixteen was a good build. It was fun. It was it was a really good build. The the Sky Raider. I was I was on the verge of giving up the hobby. I'd, I hadn't been in here for weeks and weeks and weeks, and I just thought I've just lost all interest. So I came in. I had a complete clear down, tidied everything up, rearranged a few things, moved a few of my units around and stuff, and maybe I think I took a bit of a paint rack away or something. I just changed the shed around a little bit, and then I thought, right, what can I build? And I bought the kit at Telford a couple of years previous, and I, it was Ivan said you should really do that Sky Raider. That if that if you want to get your mojo back, that's that's your answer there. And that was literally all it was. It was just supposed to get me going because I knew it would be a good kit to build. I just I, I still to this day can't. I don't know how it turned out as it did because I didn't really put that much thought into it. And I think that's part of the reason why I love it so much. It was an easy build. It was fun all the way. 
every technique I used just worked. Those exhaust stains, I was so scared putting those exhaust stains on. I thought I'm going to ruin it, but it all it all just all turned out well. You know, there's a couple of little bits that I can see when I look at the photographs of it now. I think just under the um, I think the intake underneath the, uh, the 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 nose cone, I've missed a bit of weathering on there. It looks a bit white. Possibly one of the wheels isn't quite straight, if I'm being super critical. But on the whole, I just love it. And it was the fact that that just saved the hobby for me. I was almost thinking, right, I'm going to have to really take a view of this. And I, I love it. I, I can sit and look at it. I, I, the photographs uh, that I took for the magazine are actually still on my phone, on, the, on, on my timeline. And I'm my photographs aren't very well organized on my phone so quite often when i'm looking for a photo from a while back for just anything i'll flick through and i'll these um sky radar pixel pop up as i'm flicking through the phone and i'll always stop and just have a look at a couple as i'm going through because i am I, I love it it's amazing even though i do say so myself but it, it's not so much to how it finished it's it, what it, it's what it means to me and how the finish just happened it just came about and it was seemed effortless really it really did it was just really cool and definitely because I built all the ordnance first. That was the key. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been amazing to talk to you. Like as it always is, we we do talk quite often, but never never quite as in depth as this. And it's these are stories I know from uh, about you, but the, it's great to hear them, and it's great to talk about mental health and modelling and all the things we love. And Scott, it's been great to have you on because I know it's, you've been wanted to wanted to talk to Graham for a while. So it's been nice to have Absolutely. the three of us. So, Graham, although you, you don't model much, you say, where can people see your work? On my Facebook uh, modelling page, Black73 Cat Scale Models on Facebook. I When I can remember, I post stuff on there. And then on Instagram, at Black73 Cat underscore scale underscore models on Facebook. I do have a YouTube channel. I've got two YouTube channels, but one of them, the modelling one, sadly, has nothing. Oh, no, it has. It's got my channel ident on. That's the only video that's left on there. I took everything else down. Maybe I'll start doing it again one day. If you're into wild camping, you can follow me at um, Black73Cat on YouTube and see me sleeping in a tent on top of a mountain. That, if you want into that kind of thing, that's that's um, another good thing that I do. But um, modelling-wise, Instagram and Facebook is where to go. Super. Well, no, it has, it, again, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you for joining us for this uh, for this interview. And thank you, Scott, for being here as well. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Honestly, guys, I, I took me a bit by surprise when you asked me to come on. You know, I've I've been a little bit, because I've been focusing on the wild camp and I've been a little bit detached from modelling. Um, I'm ashamed to say I've only listened to a few episodes of the Triple P, but I'm working through the back catalogue now. I'm currently listening to episode 29 with steve who writes the books for osprey man that guy knows his stuff it's amazing i mean as i've said i build a box art and i'm quite happy with that so to listen to somebody who knows that that much about it has been fascinating that's that's been great to listen to and i'm 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 loving what you guys are doing as well it it is really great to listen to um it's nice to talk to you scott um again you know we haven't spoken before so that's good to uh to meet you as well so yeah thank you very much honestly much appreciated it was an honor to talk to you. Thank you for spending time and, and thank you for the photography tips that's going to help me personally and also for your, you know, your your candor and talking about how modeling has helped you and also hearing how you've helped the modeling community. That's really inspiring that, you know, you've lent a hand to Malcolm and his fine team over there. So thank, thank you. you, Graham. Thank you, Ivan, for setting this up. This has been tremendous. Thank you. Thank you.
All right. That was a fantastic interview with our friend Graham Pearson. We're grateful for him and his input and his perspective. And uh, what do you guys think? I really enjoyed talking with Graham. Ivan, I know you guys are tight um, and and obviously share share a, a, a deep friendship with, you know, models and other things and stuff. But I thought it was pretty courageous the way that Graham discussed some of the challenges that that he's had and you discussed a, a, as well and how, you know, the, the hobby that we do kind of helps you guys uh, cope with some of those challenges. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to meet to meet so many like minded people. Like, let's not forget in in a natural life occurrence, me and Graham would probably never know each other exist. But thanks to modeling, like I've met someone. Yeah, there's like a twenty year difference between us, but he's one of my like best friends. He's he's fantastic, and we share a lot in common, and we we have the same issues. We could discuss them, and it's it's so good to have someone you can commu- communicate your issues to who understands that. It just makes life so much easier to get through. I think it kind of boils down to the fact that every one of us have had challenges. You know, for some reason, there's always been a stigma, especially with us males, that we don't want to talk about it. But the fact of the matter is, is we've all had downtimes and the social aspect of the hobby that we've talked about in in this episode, I think is really important that, you know, we support each other and, and it's okay to talk about this stuff. It's okay um, if somebody's struggling to pick up a phone and, you know, like Jason Champion said a couple episodes, uh, pick up a phone, let's talk about 109s or the Spanish Civil War or, you know, whatever it is. And and if, if the hobby can help with that, I think that's that's terrific. It's definitely something that's coming to the limelight lately and it's like i have to say i agree with that that people are, are bringing it forward uh myself i'm i was in reg force military i suffered a pretty bad injury came out and after a couple of years started a family with my wife and a long story short our third kid my daughter she was born three months premature which is a huge huge issue and the delivery itself wasn't great it was something out of a horror film and afterwards it got worse because now it's a long-term stress on you and i remember one night it was actually Christmas Eve. There was a mix-up with communication, and I had to bring in breast milk to the NICU. And the NICU nurses are the greatest people in the world you can ever meet. They'll give their shirt off their back for you, anything they can do. So I was doing my best not to be mad when I went in. And when babies are premature, uh, when they're in their mother's womb still, uh, they'll normally stop breathing and their heart will stop beating. And after a few seconds, it'll come back up. But in the meantime, their mother's system is keeping them going. But when a baby's been born premature and they're out of a and they're in an incubator, they don't have that. So what happens is usually after three to five seconds, an alarm will go off and the nurse will give the baby a little shake and the baby will start breathing it on its own and heart rate will come back. But what had happened was I was already stressed out to the max because I had to drive in through an ice storm for an hour and a half to bring the milk with me. And she's through with this event called a bratty. And for the first five or six seconds, I was expecting her to come back and she didn't. And we're talking about a baby that's the size of three bank cards end to end a micro preemie. And it went from 10 seconds to 30 seconds. And the nurse, you could see she was starting to get a little upset. And another alarm went off. So they brought in the crash team. So they had to resuscitate an infant that a few weeks before only weighed 950 grams. So that was a huge stress. And at the time, I didn't think it bothered me as much as it did. But I remember a couple of days later, just sitting in my car, being so upset with everything going on that I, I knew I needed help, but I didn't know how to ask for it. And I was very fortunate because they had a psychologist on staff there. And at first I want to do the typical dude thing where you're taking better care of your truck. You don't want to ask for help. Like your check engine light comes on, you take your vehicle in right away. And it was definitely something I was struggling with. And 
I was in that mindset that I didn't want to burden anybody else because of what was going on. So I kept it to myself. But the biggest thing I learned from that is you shouldn't let yourself suffer alone. Like if you can reach out to people, definitely do it. And it might be the littlest things that help you along the line. Like for me, it was modeling because there was one night I was doing an inspection with the forces and I found this model kit and I said, how long has this been sitting here for? And it had been two years. So I took it and just that little bit of focus that modeling was bringing me. I don't want to say that I was tuning things out. That's a bad way to put it because you don't want to, I don't think that's the approach you want to take, but the fact that it's letting you focus and when you're working with your hands like that and doing a craft, it just really makes you feel like you're accomplishing something and you're in complete control of what you're doing on that model. And I just, I know that really helped me. And I just wanted to say for Canadians that are watching, listening to the show today, uh, you can check out uh, cafconnection.ca. There's lots of support on there if you need it. Uh, Don't be afraid to go get that help if you do. Uh, For the Americans listening, you have the va.gov. Reach out for that support if it's there because you don't want to be the person that decides to keep suffering alone because you're embarrassed or whatever reasons you have not to ask for some help. Like even if it's just somebody might ask how your day is going, that could help you. But just talking to your friends, that's enough to get that ball rolling. So just to wrap this up in neat, tidy bow, just if someone says they're suffering that stuff, you don't have to know how to handle it with them. You just need to know to listen and help basically point them in the directions of some of these avenues that they can really use. Wow. Thank you, Robbie. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And I just want to add to that. Um, if anybody ever needs to talk, you know, we're here. We've had some people uh, reach out to us. And if you just want to talk, you know, we're here. And and the other thing is, is if you've got buddies in, in your local modeling club or that you haven't seen in a while, reach out to them. Just, you know, just reach out and say, hey, how you doing? Haven't seen you at the club meetings or the virtual online meetings or whatever. Just 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 see how they're doing. Just make sure that we're here for each other. Thanks for sharing that story with us, Robbie. Um, that that obviously is a very deeply personal story to you, and is it must be hard to talk about it. But again, it's, it helps us understand you and what you've been through. And I, I don't like to say a problem shoved is is a problem halved, but I, I I think talking about things really does help. And like you said, people do suffer, and they know they need help. They just don't know what to do. Again, I just really appreciate you coming on and, uh, and telling us that story and saying that like you're there for everyone else. If they've got a problem, just send you a message, do something. Yeah, 100%. And even the littlest thing might help somebody out. Like the fact that you said, just said, hey, why don't you contact this group of people? Like luckily with the military, I have a lot of avenues that I can get in touch with to help my friends because I have friends that are regular serving and I know some of the struggles they have. They've seen things a lot worse than I have. And there's only a few of them that have really gone the next step to get help. And the big takeaway is just don't be embarrassed. There's nothing at all to be embarrassed about. Yeah, absolutely. So it is now time to take a deep dive into the minds of the triple P for our discussion points. We're going to kick it off with JB and we're going to ask, what's on your mind this week? Oh man, you know what's on my mind this week? I, I got to give a shout out to IPMS Commies Club. They're an IPMS chapter out of the Denver area. Moving to a new city is always somewhat difficult, somewhat exciting, somewhat unknown. And, you know, especially for the hobby, you know, one of the things I love to do whenever I travel, whether it be stateside or abroad, is, you know, not only find hobby shops, but if there's a club that's going on, if there's a meeting one night, uh, maybe I can attend it. But Saturday, I met my buddy Brian. He goes by Machine Kruger online. 
simply a fantastic model or armor, uh, especially, you know, hypothetical paper panzer, but Russian paper panzer. So really interesting stuff. It, it was a great weekend where we hung out, had some barbecue, saw his stash, saw his models and the, the incredible work he does from his kitchen table. Uh, and then we also hit up Aberdeen Books. And that was what we talked about a little earlier. And it's a bookshop in Denver, Colorado that I've never, I, I will go on, on record to say it is certainly the best bookstore in America, if not the world concerning historical books. I mean, it is a two-story building that is literally floor to ceiling with any and every armor, aircraft, campaign, military book from like Whenever man threw a stone, whenever the first man threw a stone at somebody, to hypersonic vehicles. I mean, if you have an interest in some sort of form of militaria, it, it can be found there. Now, their online site is really good. And talking to the owner, uh, talking to the gentleman behind the counter, Terry, who's a modeler as well, he mentioned that about ninety-nine percent of the business is actually online which is AberdeenBooks.com, I believe. I will correct that in the show notes uh, and make sure we get it out there. But if you go Google Aberdeen Books Denver, it'll come up. But simply an astounding place. I could spend my 401k there. That's how um, you know really good it is. And they have the newest stuff. I knew I went to the right place when I walked in and there was literally a stack of 100 Tiger One books in front of me that were just released from Ammo of MIG. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm home. This is cool. I found my new hangout spot. So anyway, there's that. And then getting back to IPMS commies, I got to give them a big shout out on Sunday. I had the opportunity to hang out with Brian again, went to a new group of modelers, never met these people before. They welcomed me with, welcomed me with open arms. We went down to the basement of Colpar Hobby, which again is a top five hobby shop in America, if not the best. And they were just really welcoming. And it kind of goes to show the personalities and the happiness this this hobby can bring and just how, how good people are. Um, again, I had never met them. They had never met me. I sat, you know, sat next to them for three or four hours and we BS'd about common subjects. And it, it, it felt like they were the club I'd been with my, you know, entire hobby uh, back in Pittsburgh. So really big shout out to them for making a new member welcome. Really great group of people. I look forward to meeting them again and, and hanging out. And certainly if anybody is in the Denver metropolitan area, uh, please feel free to reach out. We'd love to see you at a meeting. They keep it super casual and we just build and bolt. And uh, I really enjoyed it. So big, happy shout out to them. And really goes to show the, the benefits of IPMS and you know having that camaraderie in person where fortunately we see it over Facebook, but sometimes it is nice to hang out. And I will give one more shout out, the Hobby Shop Colpar. They're having a swap meet on November 6th. And then the following weekend on November 13th, they're actually having a Hobby Town USA international show, they're calling it, where they actually take entries. And I'm trying to convince Scott here to make the drive over, but that's okay if you don't. On the, I, I think I am on the, on the 13th. Yeah, that, it's on a Saturday. So, you know, come over. I'll, I'll just be moved into my house. You can be the first guest. You can test the place out, leave us a, you know, a Yelp review and prepare it for, you know, I'll, I'll make improvements before Ian and, uh, or uh, yeah, Ivan and, and TJ show up. That is. So. I've got some of your lost masterpieces that need to find their way home. So that sounds good. I have a, probably I'll get a 10 pound pork butt to uh, smoke as well. Yeah. I saw pictures online of, of the weekend you had. And like I said, that just was like heaven to me. You, well, if you come over before the IPMS Nationals, we can 
fully indoctrinate you into this wonderful world of modeling in the Denver area. You say that, but you won't be able to get rid of me. <laughs> That's fine. You have an English accent. My wife won't want to get rid of you. She loves everything British. You can talk I about Bake Off. <laughs> uh, good point. I need to catch up on the, the newest season. <laughs> uh, anyway, that was my weekend. I, that was, well, sorry, that was my discussion point. Um, I, again, just I just want to highlight that, uh, you know, the the type of personality this hobby attracts in a large form is, is usually a kind one. And, you know, shout out to Brian and the IPMS commies for um, welcoming a new, a new person into town and, and, and taking them in without questions and certainly having a fun time. So I really appreciated it. Now, Mr. Scott, what's on your mind? Well, the first thing I want to do is give Justin Ryan his second shout out of the episode. Thank you for sending some A4 decals my way, which are now going to be on the way to TJ. <laughs> he decided to uh, do that scheme. So we really appreciate it. Thanks for the help on that. And uh, appreciate it, Justin. You're a great member of the posse. Other thing I wanted to talk about is just in the last Model Geeks podcast, they were talking about difficult builds. And Whitey mentioned how sometimes we're kind of our own worst enemies because we always feel like we need to just add a all kinds of aftermarket items, scratch building, you know, just rather than just building the kit out of the box. And uh, just wanted to talk with you. I mean, John, I think you've mentioned that the way that you build has changed a little bit in this regard, but um, do we sometimes make the hobby more frustrating for ourselves than maybe it needs to be? Or what's, what's your take on that? Oh, without question. I mean, I've, I think I've learned that only recently where, you know, before I, I, I remember it's like build, it's like, there's no time for crappy kits. And I've only realized that just now where I, I've, I've worked on some kits and I've finally been able to just let go and throw them away in the move. I know that's blasphemy in some regard to some people, but I do think we make it harder than it needs to be sometimes. I mean, you've certainly talked me off a cliff and at the end of the day, I just need to take a deep breath and like, okay, well, you know, don't do this. And Rob, Robbie, what about you? Have you? Has that been an issue with you where sometimes you just get so involved in aftermarket and accurizing that you just kind of bog yourself down in a project? I'm going to say yes and no, leaning more towards no, because I find when I have that kind of detail going on to a kit, it just allows me to immerse myself that much more. And I know I don't want to come off like it sounds elitist or anything like that, but if it's going to make the kit look a little more accurate, that's the detail I like. So if it's going to take me a few extra days to bend those fenders properly or get <laughs> the resin prepped properly for ordnance, I'll spend that extra time. But there are definitely some photo etch things like uh, the Edward photo etch cockpits that I used to be huge on those because I'm like, I'll never be able to paint that tight. But replacing a 3D object with 2D just eventually became kind of a waste of time and counterproductive. Ivan, what about you? Do you ever get yourself to the point where you've got so much aftermarket you get bogged down? Yeah, it's, it's weird. I tend to overwhelm myself before I've even started the build because I like to plan everything and then I realize I've got a lot to do. And then I just like, yeah, I don't want to do it now. It's weird. I do like to change the subject because sometimes I like a very, very in-depth build. I'll replace everything, resin, PE, metal tracks, everything. But then sometimes I'm just like, no, I just want a very simple... Airfix 172, straight from the box, module builder. It's a hard one, but it, it yeah, I, I'm someone who does that often. I'll just completely overwhelm myself with how much I've got to do. 
And usually, like I say, it's before I've even started. Like I'll look at a Voyager upgrade set and it's like, right, you've got to assemble these and cut these from the original model and remove that. It's like, oh, I don't want to do that. That has already made me panic. Doug, what about you? I've never been a big aftermarket person. I gave it a try early on, you know, 20 something years ago um, with aircraft. And I ended up breaking more resin, like True Details cockpit sets. And those those cockpit walls were so thin, I would break them. And so I just kind of gave up on them because I, I can do enough to make me happy with my airbrush most of the time. Now, cockpits and stuff, I, I usually can't see enough detail once it's all put together to, to make it worth my while. As far as armor goes, it's still new to me. Um, I I just, no, I don't, I've don't. i never really gone down that rabbit hole. TJ, what about you? Do I get overwhelmed um, every day <laughs> on a, a bunch of things? Uh, a little bit less now. Um, I think really the last time I went down that rabbit hole was when I did my captured stug. Um, and that's only because I was trying, and it's, I think the only time I've done it, try to mimic a picture. It, it's hard, and I know I've talked about it before, but I I think that that build took me three years, and I finished it this year. And part of it was I didn't know what to do because I didn't know what I was doing. I still don't know what I'm doing most of the time. Yeah, it, and I got a CMK resin uh, transmission set and driver's seat that you can't even see, but I know it's there. And um, I got figures for it, and I got tracks, and... All this other, I mean, the, just the interior set was, I've never done an interior before and I haven't since. So that paralyzed me. And, but I mean, uh, now I, I think I've spoken about it before. John's influenced me in a lot, in a lot of ways, which I've mentioned multiple times, but just build shit, just put it together. I, I don't really, I tracks like I have to get aftermarket tracks because most time kit tracks suck. I don't like Lincoln length tracks. I know they can look good, but they just piss me off. I've never, I've never put some together that I've been comfortable with or happy with it when I'm done. But aftermarket tracks, whether they be aftermarket workable plastic or metal, I've always, almost always been happy with them. So that's what I normally go for, or just metal barrels. I like those too. But as far as like big detail photo etch sets, just because I know how I can get, and I don't want to, I like to get things done. I think everyone knows that. So yeah, I don't, I don't like to get stuck doing dumb crap like adding a detail that no one literally no one cares about i think robbie hit on a good point which is i think we could do different builds for different reasons you know i mean i'm not i'm with you i i always want a set of metal tracks on my tanks and the barrels um but i tend to be sort of big hitter centric like are you going to be able to see it is it going to make is it going to actually upgrade the appearance of the model and I think once in a while, too, I think, uh, John, you know, we always talk about this, man, you, but your slammer builds, I think, you know, when you've gotten bogged down in something, you know, that 48 hour group build we did with James and, and the guys for charity. I mean, that that really showed us what you can do in a weekend if you just kind of focus on getting one done. And Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it certainly helps me get through. Like we've talked about before, you you get bogged down in a build, you get unmotivated, you get you get depressed. And one way out of it is just to literally slam something together, get it done, put it on your shelf, post a picture and get some love from the internet community. And then, then you're all golden and it really creates momentum in the different direction. We've talked about it before. I have no shame. Likes are encouraging, you know, getting engagement from the community helps. 
it is incredibly satisfying to throw up something and see it appreciated. It's it's something that we all love in life as well. So little things like that will help you break out, you know, dare I say, get your mojo going again. Sorry for the little tangent, but I, you know, as I think about things to uncomplicate the hobby to, you know, bring some fun into it and, and bring something new. And, and that's one way to do it as well with with a build that you can just slam together and then share with others. No, I completely agree. Like you might have seen on the ammo page, uh, my 148th Easy 8 Sherman. That that was done in 10 days. And that's one of the best finishes and most fun I've ever had building a model. So yeah. sometimes, like you say, just get it built. Just get it done. Have a bit yeah, of fun. Yeah, for sure. So, Doug, what's on your mind? Well, I'm going to have my discussion point be a question from one of our listeners. Ethan Eidenmill sent us today, when we, as of this recording, this question. He says, another question for general consideration. Why do you think small-scale armor has lost popularity, at least here in the U.S.? Dragon used to sell lots of 172nd-scale kits that were very high quality. And now those kits are almost never show up at hobby shops. Flyhawk and Model Collect also have some very high-quality 172nd-scale kits, but again, they're hard to find outside of the Internet. Trumpeter is another, but here in the U.S., 135th is preferred. I thought about this while looking at my shelf space. I can fit a multitude of 172nd-scale armor kits into the same space occupied by two 135th scale kits. I'll start because I know I've talked about it before. I'm a big fan of 72nd scale armor. I think it's a fun scale for a number of reasons. And I would counter with it's more popular now than it's probably been in decades. I know that back in the day, a long time ago, before probably I was even born, definitely before I was building models, 72nd or 76th scale was the scale. And then it became 35th scale. And now we have 35th, 48th, and still 72nd. But if you look at what's coming out in 72nd scale, I mean, look at what TACOM is putting out in, in 72nd. Their their D9R is amazing. Their tractors, I've built one. They're fantastic. Their Chieftain, good. Their FE-132, one of my favorite builds, and that thing is the size of a matchbox. It's fantastic. No, it's not the dominant scale. It's just not. 135th is and probably always will be. I still prefer 135th, but it's to me, there's no reason to build just 72nd when so much good stuff in 135th exists. 172nd is really small. And that, that's just the reality of really small scale. It's it's niche and it probably always will be. It's great. I, I'm not trying to dismiss you, uh, Ethan, but at the same time, like the reasons why it's not popular is because it's just not. 135th is just better. And I like 172nd. I mean, I guess saying it's better is wrong. It's more approachable for the average modeler. You know what I mean? Like you can slap together 135th scale and paint it and, and do a good job. It's a little bit harder on 172nd scale just because it's it's tiny. Yeah, just just to go off of that, I you know, I think it is tiny. And I, I think one of the problems with the scale is that it's 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 hard to be introduced to it. I would I would venture a guess that if you are coming into scale modeling, probably the most um, predictable armor model that you'll get is a 135th scale vehicle, just because they're readily accessible at a uh, hobby lobby or a hobby shop or found online. And that's what everybody's going to recommend. From my experience is the wrong word, but I guess from what I've gathered is those modelers that transition in the keyword transition, they, they transition into 72nd scale. I agree with TJ. 
I would think without TACOM, Model Collect, and a few others, the scale actually might even be dead today. Because without them, Dragon had that big push back in the early 2000s for their 172nd scale line, and then it's like gone dormant. But lately, I would say it's gained popularity probably more than it has within the last 20 years because of the likes of TACOM, Model Collect, and even some wargaming. I think that is a critical thing to think about in the hobby is that the influence maybe wargaming has for the scale. And and I'll and maybe here's another detractor, 48th scale might be people traditionally that would go to 72nd might find themselves in 48th where it isn't as big as 35th. I do believe a big thing comes down to the tininess, being able to see it, being able to literally see it. We see the prevalence of 35th scale or 32nd scale aircraft kits. And I would even think probably aircraft suffers maybe from the same the same issues that armor does. I think another factor in the resurgence of 172nd scale armor is plasma. Yeah, I agree. Yes. Robbie, Robbie, you mentioned mentioned him earlier, but some of his 72nd scale armor builds, like uh, the KV-2 that's going down into the river that has like millions, that, that video has yeah. millions of views. I would say that's a factor in, in the scale coming back as well. For sure. Have you seen the hits he has on that 172 Hornet he did last year? When I checked that no. the other day to watch it, he was at 2.4 million views Whoa. Wow. That's insane. All right. Tangent time. Buckle up. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. Robbie, you bring up a really good point. And I think those numbers are absolutely staggering and shows the popularity of this hobby that we could never possibly fathom before the advent of social media and YouTube. I think it's thank you for pointing that out. And even the popularity of your show as well, you know, seeing the numbers of views that you're getting, some of your videos have what over 60, 70,000 views. Who would have ever thought a modeling video by, you know, by a, a guy at home would garner that much attention? I mean, it's, it's truly staggering and gives us hope, you know, for the future of this hobby as well, I think. It's funny with YouTube, it's the things that get popular and the things that don't get popular. Like my f- most popular build on my channel is that uh, 148.0. And I think that's at 117,000 views. And when I built that kit, even as I said in the video, I'd never approached Japanese aircraft I was like, I'm just going to have some fun with this build and hear some history on it. And I didn't think it would go as it has basically climb as it had. Like, it's not what I expected. It's impressive numbers. A lot to be proud of there. When it comes to the smaller scales, well, recently for MO, I've been doing these little 144 U-Star kits. And yeah, like, cool, nice, little, fun, little kit. But again, the, the detail's just not there. Uh, the, the turret-mounted machine gun is basically a blob of plastic so when you start getting down into small scales they are very limited especially on armor on aircraft you can kind of get away with it or kind of just miss the detail off altogether but when it comes to afe and vehicles it's just in plastic it's limited so it's just going to look a bit blobby and very basic like this one these tracks pretty much have no tread because of the size of it yes more modern manufacturers are coming out with 70 second stuff but when you look at the price as well it's like well i can just get a 35th scale kit for the same price as the 72nd. Why wouldn't I? And that's just how I see it. Like Again, 72nd stuff, it's good size. I, I quite like it. And it was fun to do this little 144 thing. It was fun to do some little experiments on with pigments and that. But it's just, it's like TJ said, it's a much smaller canvas. So you have to be more refined with your skills. I was finding, I was like, this is tiny. <laughs> so I, I was struggling to do my usual oil blending. 
and things like that. I just couldn't get the techniques the same because you need to be more refined, more precise with what you're doing. So I think that's also something that puts people off. It's like, oh, it's so small and so so delicate. Maybe I'd be better off with a bigger canvas. That, that way I can adjust and adapt better. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I just want to butt in and say, you know, going back, Alex Clark, I think he is – you know, the poster child for flipping the script on 72nd. You could see a picture of his vehicle and be like, oh, that's a 35th scale tank. He's one of the only guys I know and a few others, as TJ mentioned, that can do that in that scale. It takes a certain level of skill and mastery to to really nail it. And, and he is certainly one of them. So, TJ, what have you got to talk about? I, I talked about it briefly earlier. I was doing pigment work on my Sherman. And that's a big deal to me because I, I think I've mentioned it before. I don't like using pigments. I've never been good at them. I don't freaking get it. I felt like it was time because I, I don't want to pigeonhole myself into doing something one particular way. I got away from using, I tried using pigments before. I kind of got away from it, trying to be like uh, Martin and use enamels for everything, which I was successful with. I, I, and I still like using a lot of enamels. You know, I had red tank art, so I was really into oils and I stopped using oil so much. So with a Sherman build, I kind of went back to what I was doing before and also just talking to Mike and watching his streams. I'm like, well, you know, maybe I should try this again. So I went with oils and then I made the command decision to go with pigments. And that really pushed me out of my comfort zone. I know we've talked about comfort zones before, but that was that's kind of my topic. That's the last thing I've done that really pushed me out of my comfort zone because I haven't messed with pigments in this way probably ever but this you can see a fair amount i feel like i got really good results and i felt very accomplished when i sent the picture to mike and he was like that's pretty good i want to make you a real modeler after all so i thought i thought that was pretty funny getting myself out of my comfort zone i feel like is helping me grow as a modeler that was the last time i did it so we talk about that a little bit when when's the last time you guys push yourself out of a comfort zone with with anything other weathering or, or just building or even scale or subject how about you, Scott? I think it's the slave one. You know, you guys were giving me crap and I'm actually really, really grateful. It was about 80% for about three years and, and you guys pushed me to finish it. Yeah, it was it was definitely a comfort zone, but you guys pushing me and then um, Mike, his, his new videos on YouTube. I have all the tank art books, but actually seeing him do it for me, I guess I just learned better that way. Those two things were instrumental in really kind of bumping me out of my comfort zone and doing an amount of OPR that I'd never done before on a model, especially one that scale, very, very small. What about what about you, Doug? When was the last time you got pushed out of your comfort zone, either by force or by choice? You guys made me build a tank. Yeah, you're welcome, by the way. Hey, I, I really I really enjoyed that. It was a lot of fun. And I built one since, so that's a, that's a good sign, right? No, that's that's, that's the best sign. I still don't understand armor the way you guys build armor. I still don't understand why people build and paint and, you know, build it and then paint it and then try to detail little details that I feel like I can paint and then put on. But that's not how it's done, apparently. And I'm learning that and I'm trying it that way. And it seems to work. It just seems backwards to someone that would. I mean, to me, it's like putting your landing gear on your airplane and then trying to detail it, like paint it and weather it with the landing gear sticking out because, you know, you're going to break it. That's how I feel when I start putting tools on a on a tank before I paint it. That's how I feel when I when I when I put the wheels on a tank and then paint it. It just seems counterintuitive. So I'm trying it and that's 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 where I'm going 
uh, out of my comfort zone is trying to do different subjects and trying techniques that I, even if they feel wrong to me, I'm giving them a try. What about you, Ivan? Uh, twice recently. The first time was when the M3 and 4 build started. And now so everyone was doing like big upgrades to their models with PE sets. So bought a full Voyager set for mine, which, you know, previously would have been me sick in my own mouth. It, you know what? Yeah. Tackling PE. Uh, and now I've got a good formula of like good debonder, good glue and things like that. That was a big leap for me because I just, I hate PE. I either can't bend it right or it doesn't glue properly or there's glue marks so it snaps off. I'm like, what is the point in this? <laughs> but but now I've got that sussed kind of. Um, I'm happy to work with it. It's a fun little challenge. But the second time was similar with you. The I was watching Mike's live stream and he was doing the front of that T34 with the pigments and then the thinned, uh, the thinner that's just spattered on and then oil paints. I like you. I hate. I hated pigments, but now Mike's make made me love pigments. I was like, the, the effects you get on this just you can't get with other products. It's it's weird. I used to think, yeah, you don't need them. You can do it with other stuff, but it, it they do really give something that other products can't. And it was it was a thing where I was thinking, well, if I don't try other new stuff, then I'm just going to plateau. I'm not going to improve. I'm going to be doing the same old stuff for years unless I try something that's risky, which is something I hate doing. But you've got to. You know, it's it's funny about that the misting the fixer on the, with the pigments because he he says that in his books. Tankar Two has a whole intro chapter on how to do dust pigments, and I've read it a million times. And I tried it, and I tried misting it. I clearly wasn't doing it right. Then watching him actually do it, and then I turned to my other desk and did it, and I looked at it, and I was like, "Holy shit, this works! <laughs> like this this legitimately works. Why did this not work before?" And then I guess because me reading it and just looking at a picture wasn't wasn't good enough. Just watching him do it, yeah, angle and pressure and just ever and just him talking through it. I messaged him the other day. I'm like, I might have come around on pigments, my, pigments, Mike. Don't tell anybody, please. But yeah, it's 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 awesome. What about uh, what about you, John? Great question. When was I when was I pushed out of my comfort zone? So this is going to be honesty. I feel that way on every build. I really feel I don't I don't know if I just get anxious with things, but every build I try to do something new or you know something different. There's always some apprehension at some point in that build. Key examples: one is uh, the M40, the M46 patent I did for the modeling news. I'd never done snow before, and I did snow and you know crap my pants for probably four nights in a row trying to think about how to do it. And then, you know, got the gumption to do it. You know, other examples are trying whitewash for the first time. You know, again, working with pigments. Again, that's black magic. Every time I have apprehension towards them. Yeah, I, I, and it's truthful. Every one I have, you know, a little bit of a uh, little bit of apprehension, a little bit of um, even questioning sometimes. But fortunately, I tend to push through it. But I also have a quite a shelf of doom that shows I can't in some regard. So. But yeah, that's that's me. A little bit on every build, and some are more than others, and you just got to power through them. You want you want to talk about apprehension, acrylic paint speckling. The first oh, time, oh man, you got to go. Oh my you just god, go man. <laughs> there is nothing more terrifying than the first time you get some wet ass paint on your <laughs> stiff brush. Like, I'm gonna go ahead and just splatter this all over this nicely painted model. What could go wrong? Literally everything could go wrong. If you, yeah, it only takes one second. But once you figure it out, it's an amazing technique. You know, just uh, have that damp brush ready. And a lot of times, too, when you're speckling that acrylic paint, if it dries, it'll usually dry and you can take a sharp X-Acto blade and literally pick off that one little speck. 
Or what about uh, you, Robbie, to bring us home? When was the last time you were pushed out of your comfort zone by choice or by force? I'm going to say by force. And it's right now with the group build with the M force, because I'm obviously not a, much of a tank builder. I'm just getting into it. And the Sherman I chose to do. Okay. Time didn't... out. Your videos are great. <laughs> 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 Sorry to interrupt there, but the Sturm Packer was the first time I was happy with the paint. Cause I did really, I thought I did okay with the distressing, but the Sherman this time around, I've probably couldn't have picked more harder things to try to accomplish with it. The first one being, I did a whitewash on it. I'd never done a whitewash before. So I had to learn how to do that, practice it, screw it up a few times. And then before I started to get my mind around it. And then I had to come in with the oils because the whole acrylic washable paint thing wasn't working for me. So I had to use white oils to try to break it all up. And it's kind of funny because forcing myself to do that, I finally started to understand how the oils would work in different approaches, different ways of thinning it. So that was nice. If I hadn't been pushed into it, I wouldn't have learned that. And then lastly, I'm also making it muddy. So I have to find a way to balance all of that and make it work. So you guys are following it in the group build. You'll see how it's going. Uh, It's not in the trash yet. So hopefully it keeps going the way it is. So let me get this straight. That was your first winter whitewash? That's my first winter whitewash. Yes. That's impressive. You nailed it, dude. I think I might have told you that when you posted the first pictures a little while ago. Uh, Yeah. Thank you. It's really damn good. And I like your mud too. I think I might. I don't know if I comment on that. Is this if anybody's watched me do this tank right now? It looked like when Homer was building the circus tent out of potatoes, just sitting there, like slightly carefully doing it. Doing this tank. <laughs> now you're knocking it out of the park. I, I want to tell you that in person. I love it. It's great. Thank I'm you. super jealous of your whitewash. I've never had a whitewash look that good. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure it's gonna happen with the border. I think it opens up next week, but. uh I don't know if it's going to be enough to plan a trip to Oklahoma for next year, but I'm definitely going to send it to somebody. I'll ship it to one of you guys. Maybe send a case of Canadian beer with it. Good deal. Yeah. So, hey, I, I, I gotta, we got to take some moments. and Hey, tangent time. Sorry, it's a new <laughs> segment here on the Triple P. Um, <laughs> you already had your tangent, know, tangent but, time. He's had but, multiple but, tangent moments. But this, but this one, I want to recognize Robbie's work because I really do appreciate, you know, a Sherman and – you know, for some of our listeners that don't know about it, you know, Robbie, I love your OD. What what OD paint did you use on that? Uh, so the short answer is I used the AK olive drab, but the way I did it was uh, I started with the lighter faded olive drab and I added a couple parts of white, uh, laid that down, put some chipping fluid on top of it, and then came in with the darker olive drab, the regular color, and then just uh, chipped it away to distress it. And then once I was happy with how it was looking, just left it like... It looked like it was still pretty gross, but my old approach would be to come in and try to clean that up and make it look nice and tidy. But I've learned to trust the process. And if it's looking grody now, that'll start to be pushed back as the next few layers come in. So that could very easily have gone wrong, but it seems to have worked so far. How did you do that? Because I can't seem to get AK Real Colors to chip. But yeah, same thing. I use the uh, heavy chipping fluid. But uh, yeah, it's just uh, as soon as I had that first color down, I use Mr. Leveling Thinner to cut the paint. And that usually makes it a little bit harder to chip. But I just let just dampen the paint. I don't soak it. I just dampen it and let that sit for a few minutes before I start trying to break that apart with the stiff brush. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm stupid. Oh, come on, man. You can do it. Time to bust out the paint mule and and uh, get some experiments going. I've had pretty good success chipping it, but I think you've got to really put it on in thin layers. Yeah, 
Not sure how you generally paint, but with AK especially, I think you got to get it kind of yeah. build it up and be very, very thin, and then it chips okay. If you go thicker, it gets tough. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always tough it's, if you thin it with Mister Love. I mean, you kind of have to. It's it's AK real color, but I've I've always been pretty successful at chipping it. I've chipped their OD quite a few times. I, I might have talked about this before. It I don't know what it does, but it it gives this really awesome effect, and it's not intentional. I think where. I don't know if the paint is not coming all the way off, but then it like lightens up. So not only are you, you have the distressed dark color, you have little flecks of, of lighter paint that where, where the water has like changed the tone. Like it, the, it got underneath, got the hairspray or chipping fluid out, but you didn't take the paint with it and it changes the color of the paint. That's the only way I can describe it. But the effect is it's gorgeous because it, especially over like a something with with texture like a turret or a machine ingredient kit it looks i mean the chef's kiss that's how it looks to me it's just and and it's i don't think it's supposed to do that but whatever it is it, it's awesome i'm gonna have to try this again i'll teach you oh please you, do you got please this, do. <laughs> you, you got it so robbie what's on your mind um, I think we're going to keep it pretty simple with this one. I just wanted to ask you guys how you go about choosing your next build. I know for myself personally, when I look at the stash, it can be overwhelming when it's trying to figure out what I want to do next and trying to be engaged with that build. So I was just wondering if you guys have any tips or tricks or techniques that you use when you're making that choice. And we'll start with uh, Ivan there. <laughs> it's that hard uh, because I have so many of my own projects I want to do and I will be doing them now. But usually what I do next is determined by what people want from me. So it's either usually a magazine or a company or whatever. So usually that's my priority and I'm do what I basically I do what I'm told. Um when it comes to doing my own stuff, it's it's just it's just random inspiration at the time of what I fancy. There's no planning that goes into it. Like I've got a, a plan of a it's a raised diorama of a rail track with a flatbed um wagon with a panzer four on it with all sorts going on around it i wanted to do that for ages i've got all the stuff to do it i've just not got the time to do it but that it's just i, I saw an image once i was like i've got to create that so it's in the head i know i want to do it but inspiration just comes and goes for whatever subject i want to do next spur of the moment sort of thing awesome uh doug how about you same kind of thing i'll go look in my stash and and whatever feels fun at the moment Almost always it's Bandai Star Wars, but sometimes I'll grab something else. Occasionally I will grab something at the hobby store and just come home and start working on it. Like when I did the T-55 earlier this year, just I saw it. I decided, hey, I want to do this. I brought it home. I had it done four days later. Perfect. Uh, Scott, same question. John and TJ tell me what I'm going to work on next. (laughs) (laughs) I'm good at spending people's money. It's always easier, I find, when someone suggests it for me. Like when there's group builds or stuff like that, I don't have to really think about what I'm doing next. It's like, okay, I'll do a Sherman or I'll do an A4. Otherwise, I'll be standing there for two hours scratching my head. Uh, TJ, how about you? Um, It really depends. Um, I get inspired by what other people are doing because I'm in a ton of modeling groups. And if I see something really cool and I have one, I'll be, oh, man, I should really build that. Or I'm thinking about getting one that can do it and just... I like to change it up every once in a while. So I'm primarily an armor model or allied armor modeler. So every once in a while I'll do something that's not green, um, whether it's German or something else. And, and the other thing, the other way I get inspired is what's on lightning deals on, uh, on screw brothers. <laughs> Cause if it's cheap and I can get it quick, I'll, I'll probably get it. And also 
uh, our buddy Jonathan has, has said this too, looking at aftermarket, just like what's available. You're like, oh man, that's a sweet aftermarket kit. I should get that. Oh, I should get a kit to go with it. I'm going to go ahead and do that <laughs> next. You know, I get inspired by, inspires me to choose my build is, is a number of things. Sometimes it's just because I look over and I see something. I'm like, I should, I should build that. Awesome. Uh, JB, how about you? Yeah, you know, I'd like to say I take a look at my stash, but I, I find myself more and more like TJ where, you know, I'm just inspired by something, whether it be a picture or someone else's model. And I immediately go to the, web, you know, Sprue Brothers or, or Andy's Hobby Headquarters and hit purchase. And looking back, I recent, recently moved. I kind of hinted at it in a group chat with these guys. Like, I almost regret not selling all of my stash because there are so many good kits coming out. The older ones will always be there. And I find myself attracted to these new ones more and more. So I might do another purge because there's just, I'm, I'm overwhelmed on a daily basis. I mean, constant inspiration. The latest one is, you know, Steve from Value Gear. He puts out the 116 scale Stug Stowage. I'm like, well, I need to buy that. And oh, guess what? <laughs> I need to kit it go with it. So it's, it's really, uh, yeah, it's we we are very lucky in this hobby. I should say that, and I need to control myself more. <laughs> JB's selection process is like that meme with the guy with the two girls, <laughs> and he's like got one on his arm and he's checking the other one out. That's JB right there, straight up. Yes, I mean, I think I was just looking today. Yeah, on Sprue Brothers, it, it, what what is new, and and it could be a simple aftermarket part that inspires me to buy a model kit. So. It's a, uh, yeah, I have a, I have a sickness, I guess. <laughs> That's okay. You might end up on a TV special one day. I'll probably be there the next episode. <laughs> so I have a little bit of a stash. Same thing. I know what you mean though, when it's overwhelming, <laughs> but the same thing. I would like those days where I'm like, I just sell almost everything and just know like one or two kits there. Then it's make my life easier, but that'll never happen. <laughs> Something I've wanted to ask all of you. Because of the standards of kits we're getting from manufacturers at the minute, for example, we've got the Border Models Lancaster X Wingnut Wings last, uh, Lancaster coming out. It's got stress skin, raised rivets, absolute full interior, full engines, full bombay, everything you could possibly want. And then you've got kits coming from Border Models, Ryefield, and now Mini Art announced today, full interior stugs with crew and everything, armor texture, everything you could possibly want. Where do manufacturers go from there? How can they improve from what they're already doing? And John, I do want to ask you that first, because I know you, you like your German armor. So I, I just want to see where, where oh, you man. see it going from here. You know, it, it's it's really crazy. Where do we go from here? And boy, I, I'm constantly surprised every time I turn on Facebook. I mean, the integration of 3D parts into some of these kits. I, I think what I I think what we'll see, is, and, and we're seeing the trend already, is going towards more and more interior kits. Um, that was a you know a grossly underserved market I think for the past you know thirty years and the only thing that we had before were you know the Verlinden uh, bars of soap um, that you could you know cram into your Sherman but now I you know what was it Mini Art just yesterday or was it today announced today yeah with the yeah with the full interior it's like where the hell did that come from um, so I think that's where we're going to see manufacturers really start to push things is, is, you know, they've modeled the outside so much. Where do we go next? Let's go inside. What about you, Scott? I think we're going to see more and more choices of subjects. A great example is the ICM FCM 36 French tank. You know, we, we could go on and on and on about that. We have more choices than ever before. We also have manufacturers like Dora Wings, 
like wingsy wings that are making aircraft that are either variants we've never seen before or they're aircraft that we might have had kits before, but they're to use John's terms, they were carved out of a bar of soap and now we're getting really nice multimedia, super detailed kits uh, uh, of those subjects. And so I think we're just going to continue to see more choices. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah I agree. Like the, the stuff that people just have never heard of. What about you, Doug? I've got some hopes that we see more of it, uh, more of those quality of kits come out. But as they start to streamline their process of production and manufacture and design and all that stuff, that they can find a way to make them a little less expensive. This is not a complaint about the price of the Lancaster, but I promise you, I could afford maybe one kit in my life <laughs> that expensive. I just, you just can't keep justifying those kinds of numbers. And most people can't. So, so, I mean, if the Lancaster is your baby, you're going to have one, but I just, I just hope I can have high quality stuff at a, at a more reasonable price for me. I'll go back to my Star Wars stuff. I I was given a perfect grade fan, uh, Millennium Falcon, and I bought another one to build for somebody in exchange for some work, which is a very good deal for me. But yeah, I just you just can't. Even though that's you know Star Wars is my favorite thing, ain't gonna ain't gonna be able to just go out and buy something like that. So so prices have to be uh, on a larger scale, more reasonable for yeah. most people. Yeah, understandable. Because that new Lancaster over here is six hundred twenty pounds, and that's considered cheap in based on the retailer selling it. And it's like it's it's a very special kit. But how many people are actually going to buy it? And and then how many people are actually going to build it once they bought it? I was going to say if you can't if if you have one of something and you love it. Sometimes I look at my stash and I and I see something sitting there and I don't. I'm afraid to, I don't want to build it because if I take it out of my stash and I build it, I don't have it in my stash anymore. It's never a future project. And sometimes I love having that option. I've been criticized for that a lot. It's why I buy two of everything. <laughs> um, so I've got one for the stash and one to build. TJ, what about you? Where do you see uh, see manufacturers going with kits? Um, I mean, they're just going to get find more and more obscure subjects. There's already a, what, a, a bevy of World War One and interwar armored cars. There was clearly a market for that and... Companies have tapped into it and just, you know, there's there's stuff that hasn't been kitted in plastic that it's coming eventually, both in armor and aircraft and, and ships. And I mean, look at look at Tacom. Now they're making Zeppelins. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to get one. Oh, definitely. Zeppelins are sweet. I don't like I don't care what anyone says. You know, if you played Red Alert 2 on the computer, you you were into Zeppelins, you know, because you could fly one around and, and bomb New York City with it. It's, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm sure there, there's a, you know, they're going to reach the point of diminishing returns when it comes to engineering. There's only so much you can do with uh, plastic, but you know, if, if there's, if there's a want for it out there, you know, the taste making elite will make it happen. Um, For what's coming next, it's hard to say because I know the interior kits are getting big, but at the same time, I have to wonder how many people are going to actually build those. Cause I've had the Panther G from take or Tacom, sorry, in my stash now for about two years and I have the metal tracks for it. I have it barreled, but I just haven't got it around to it yet because I know it's going to be a project. And I have to wonder how many other people are in that same mindset. Like, would I rather do a six months building something like that, or would I rather hammer out two or three other kits? So I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. I honestly, I can't see. I can't predict that because if I could, I'd definitely be buying stocks somewhere. That's interesting. Yeah, this is. I think we're all kind of in agreement though. It'd be nice to. See manufacturers go for the more obscure things we don't know anything about, like TJ said, the World War One stuff at the minute is gaining a lot of love, and it's especially from like Copper State models. They're bringing out stuff is like that is just awesome looking. 
So yeah, it's, it's it's great to have the variety as well as options, as well as the detail. It's they've got well, better. They've got all the time in the world to build as much as they want. So before I move on, I just want to give a little shout out to our very own JB, who sent me a very, very awesome model in the post. I'm not going to lie. I didn't know what the frig it was when I opened the box. I was like, <laughs> it's a box in a box. But it's a, it's a Vargas scale models, World War I French armoured tank, the Frott Turmel Lafley M1915. I've already actually built it now. It needs paint and primer, but it's, it's so cool. And it was just stupidly generous. I'm, I'm awkwardly grateful whenever I get something. <laughs> I'm just like, uh, thanks. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just want to give a shout out. Like, stupidly generous, especially to post it, because it showed how much it costs to post it here, because posting to the UK at the minute is dreadful. Uh, but yeah, I'm just stupidly grateful. Um, so just massive shout out to him. That was, it was above and beyond. Oh, hell man. Anytime, anytime. I know, I know you took a liking to it when we showed it at Nats and why not send it? You know, when I make people happy, I'm happy. So I'm happy to pass it on and I can't wait to see you paint it. I know you're going to do a bang up job. You'll probably do it in a little vignette. Who knows? I hope you bring it back and, you know, enter it at Nats next year because we'd all love to see it in person. So very happy. And I will say, you know, shipping to the UK wasn't that bad, I thought. Um, so you might get a couple more gifts from our end. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, all good, man. And I can't wait to see it painted on your end. No, thanks very much. Again, like that, even that praise, then it's like, I'm I'm very awkwardly grateful. I want you to know that shipping to Utah is not that bad either. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for everything. Remember, everybody, you can leave us feedback about this or any other episode of our show over at the Plastic Posse Facebook page. Or you can email us at plasticpossepodcast at gmail.com. We want to thank our Posse supporters once again and give another shout out to our two awesome sponsors, Tank Craft and Sean's Custom Model Tools. Remember, there is no wrong way to enjoy this hobby. If it's been a while since you did, what are you waiting for? All right. Thanks again for joining us for episode 32. We'll be back in two weeks as well as our regular segments and more awesome content about scale modeling. So we definitely want to thank our special guest, Robbie, again. Really appreciate you sticking around and and sharing some insights. And we'll certainly uh, log on to your YouTube and look forward to your upcoming videos. That's just one aspect of the hobby we love so much. So thanks again for joining us. Until next time, yeehaw! I'm at my in-laws. They're gonna. They're like, what? What is he doing? What is he doing? God. All right, I love how all. quickly you cut that off. <laughs> well, I, I, I could just feel it. They're in the other room judging. <laughs>